I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Musky Hunks Podcast. I'm one of your five hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. And yes, we have all of the hunks on the line tonight. So let's go to our first hunk. We're going to say Mr. Donnie Swink. Good evening. Good evening, Ryan. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, Donnie. Hello. How's the family doing? Everybody's doing well here. All good. Awesome. Baby Swink is now um, a month old? Two months today. Two months. He's in college already. Already. (laughs) Two months. Yep, just like that. Eight weeks. Wow. Wow. That's right? awesome. Just blink, man. Blink and it goes by. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, we also have on the line, Mr. We're going to go right to Owen on this one. Owen Seaman, Big O's Bucktails. Good evening, guys. Really glad to hear, glad to be here tonight. Well, we're pumped to have you. It's always a, always a pleasure. We also have from the Great White North, Mr. Nick Fiesler. Snow, snow. It's like summertime. Beautiful. How warm Ready did it get it? today up there, Nick? 65. That's uh, uh, yeah, I see it was uh quite quite nice up at the Dota and yeah. I'm hoping that that you know spring is finally here. That's it. Got a got a bunch of stuff this weekend, but might be boat season on next week. Oh boy, it's that time. That time of year. We also have on the Zoom call tonight the croc man himself, Mr. Tom Banata. Back again did you miss uh, me meow. tom your mic is still not like perfect try try getting rid of that thing as yep. usual you're doing you're doing better. It wrong tom they're always doing yeah. it wrong a bunch a lot better right yeah. all right well we have a very special guest this evening that we're all very excited about and i'm just gonna kick it over to tom and let him introduce uh this individual yeah, so I've been really excited about tonight. Um, I would say it's probably the person that got me excited about musky fishing. I don't think he knows that, but just seeing the pictures and hearing the stories and stuff, it like made me realize like it's possible. Because starting out musky fishing, I never really thought that Pennsylvania, like we've talked about this before, I never thought PA was a musky state, and I thought we were kind of wasting our time around here. But he kind of showed me very quickly, you're really not wasting your time, and that we have some pretty good fishing right under our nose here. Um, and that guy's Nicholas Colangelo of Pittsburgh, PA. What's up, Nick? Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate that. What's you up, know, Nick? Nice having you on, man. Hey, what's going on, Owen? Thanks for having me on tonight. We're all excited yeah. tonight, man. Very excited. I'd say this is part the other half of the dynamic duo. Uh, we yeah. had Luke on a few episodes ago, and I'd say Nicholas. And, let, Nicholas. and let's let's just say this is Tom's bromance, no question. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, I, I, we should say man crush, not bromance. Yeah, yeah man bromance, crush. bromance would indicate that it is that it's mutual, um, reciprocated. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, reciprocated, yeah, yeah. Where this is definitely just one way. Well, yeah, no yeah. doubt. I don't think oh, Nick's. Yeah. I don't think Nick's wearing uh, custom made like couple Crocs. Tom's yeah. not Tom's not in the bedroom tonight, so you couldn't see all the posters of you on the walls. <laughs> Luke's the croc guy. Did Luke show you his croc collection? He did oh, not. No, oh, we didn't know that. Crocs. Oh when I first met Luke. Another was, reason. Yeah. yeah, that was the go-to fishing shoe. 
It is. Well, tell us a little about yourself, Nick. I mean, we know a little bit about you, but maybe some of our listeners don't. Or Well, you know, briefly about work, uh, my family, we've owned a business down the Strip District for the past, uh, it's about 15 years now. Uh, my dad, he's an immigrant from Italy. He does all the baking. My mother, she's an excellent chef. She taught me how to cook. And uh, I run all the kitchen in the daytime operations out of the bakery. You know, that's how I pay for all the musky stuff. I got to have a job. Otherwise, I'd probably fish all the time. But, <laughs> yeah, it's a family business. And through that business, you know, that's how I ended up meeting Luke. <clears throat> I got off of work one day, went over to Luke's place. I heard you guys talk about Luke's business. Geez, Luke talked about for 45 minutes, 50 minutes. He talked about work. <laughs> I listened to 10 minutes of the whole like totality 10 minutes of it and I was like all right where's he gonna start talking about fishing and so I started <laughs> the, the slider and I had to get like see we minutes in. we really like getting a little bit more background on people because you know you know you don't often you guys think it's not a big <laughs> deal you really do like but we 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 enjoy the fact that you know guys like you and and Luke you know, you not only fish and catch these big fish, but you also run businesses here in Pittsburgh or, you know, like, you know, so it's not like you are, you know, traditional everyday musky fishermen. So we are interested in your businesses. And, you know, I know Ryan went to, to Luke's place the other day. I've always wanted to come down to your, to your bakery, but you know, I just never am there in the mornings. You know, if I, if I'm, if I'm in the strip district in the, it's, it's generally in the evenings to have dinner or something. And, you know, and I see your place and it's like, man, I really got to make a point to, to come down here in the mornings or something to, to really see what's up here. Yeah. If you guys are ever down early or stop in, we also do like a entire lunch menu, sandwiches, salads, pasta, pizza. Oh, yeah, they do. We, we, we do everything that a standard normal restaurant does we actually owned a fine dining restaurant for about eight years out in monroeville before we sold our where was that you know, it was on uh old william penn highway it what was, was it uh, right by the miracle mile uh-huh uh it was called la cachina dolce it was like in know. a little strip mall uh tucked back right on old william penn okay because we moved to monroeville in 2013 and like we had really young kids, so like we didn't, we weren't like going out and having dinner in places. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I always tell my wife that we don't have any like small mom and pop non chain. We, we don't have many small Those mom. Don't and exist really anywhere. Yeah, it's hard to stay in business. Anymore. Yeah, most businesses are chains now, and it's hard to find a lot of unique you know, small independently owned businesses, but, uh, so when know, did you guys pivot from the restaurant in Monroeville to a bakery in the strip district? Cause that's, I mean, it's, that's not an insignificant change. Right. About 2007, okay. 2007, okay. we flipped back, we sold half that, you know, our half of the, the shares to the other, uh, the other partner and me and my dad, my mother, we all went down in the strip district about 2007 opened up uh, down there, but my family had a history of working down there among uh, Pennsylvania macaroni and some of the more traditional like uh, business owners, like the Woolies down in the Strip District, where like you know the people from Penn Mac and, and Luke and his family. I mean, they have history going back a hundred years, and yeah, the fabric of those fam- you know these a few families in the area have, have really held up and built the reputation that exists down there and makes it a special place for Pittsburgh because it still has 
uh, that feeling where it's not, it's not chain businesses. They're not, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff. You can find stuff there that you can't find in anywhere else, you know, even other big cities, you can't find that. Absolutely. I think if there's, you know, if there's one place where there's like a multicultural type of epicenter of sorts where you can go and you could, there's an Asian market, there's, you know, there's all these different things that you can go and in one stroll down the strip, you can, you know, hit a bunch of different things, seafood at Woolies, you know, go literally around the corner and get some pastries at Nick's. Right. Right. Like, and now that kind of played into how you got into musky fishing, correct? I mean, it, <clears throat> absolutely fundamental. Now, I've lived in Pittsburgh my entire life. Like, I'm from Pittsburgh. I uh, What section? I, like, what area? East? North? Started off in Bellevue, Avalon okay. area, uh, elementary school. I went to high school in Upper St. Clair. I grew up in the South Hills. I don't usually tell a lot of people that, you know. Not a you know, people think it from the rich, rich side of the, the neighbor, you know, the town, but uh, yeah, we're we're a bunch side. of the we're, we're a bunch of the east siders over here. We're Mon Valley, yeah, right. We're, we're slumming at Mon Valley <laughs> over here. So USC, I played football, I played baseball, I was athletic there, and uh, but my my old man, he took me fishing. He he's he's a he was a baker, is a baker, but he uh, worked night shift at uh, Jenny Lee Bakery down in McKees Rocks. It's not there anymore. So I would be, I'd miss my dad. I'd get excited, you know, six, six years old. And I, I, I'd actually stay up till, cause he'd get off of work at like three in the morning. He'd get home around three 30 in the morning. And uh, he would scoop me up. Cause he's, you know, he's awake. He works nights. So he's not ready to go to bed. He'd scoop me up and we'd go with his buddies down to the back channel to the Emsworth dam. And this is in, in late eighties, early nineties, you know, I was doing this stuff with them and we were there at three 30 in the morning. And if you ever climbed down the rock faces, to get all the way down to the bottom like when you're five six years old like that's like you might as well be going down mount everest you know (laughs) holding on to like ropes that are tied off the chain link fences and that are coming apart and like you know they're you know all tangled up in in the ground and we'd go down there and uh we'd catch really back then all i remember catching was carp and catfish carp you know occasionally you'd get like a 14 inch walleye or or a sauger you get the sauger oh yeah a lot down there and uh you know i grew up doing that i grew up fishing north park lake with my dad and uh you know fast forward we're down in the strip and luke opens his place my place was open before luke opened his place maybe by about three or four years and when luke opened up you know i was probably about Oh, I don't know, 20, 26, 27 at the time. So I'd go over there after work. I'd get off of work two, three o'clock and I'd go over there, sit at the bar and have a drink. And uh, one day, I, you know, Luke came down and I, you know, I, I heard him introduce himself. And he's like one of the most humble, uh, easy to get along with people that, you know, that's, that's why we're such good friends because, you know, he, it's just easy to get along. Everything is real easy going and uh, you, you don't have to worry about, you know, He's maybe know. the most he's modest person I've ever met. Yeah, he, he, you know, he's my best friend. I, I love that guy. But uh, he's coming down explaining to some customers, and it's uh, it's December or January, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm, I'm going ice fishing. And he's telling these people, and I'm, I'm having a drink by myself, and, and then he goes and he introduced himself to me, and uh, we weren't talking for more than 45 seconds, and he goes, you want to go fishing tomorrow? And I'm like, I fished my whole life. And he's talking about ice fishing. I never went ice fishing before. I, not once. 
anywhere. And I didn't know anyone else that did it or anything. And uh, he had some really like basic tip ups, you know, nothing, no musky gear at this point. We, we were, you know, it was just bass and stuff. And he invited me within like a minute. And I think he, as, as surprised as I was that he invited me, he was equally surprised that I said yes, mm-hmm. because right. I then woke up at three in the morning the very following day and drove down there, met him at the store. He brought his uh, girlfriend, who was still his girlfriend, uh, Emily, and uh, we packed the cars up and we went to Lake Arthur and we, I believe it was Lake Arthur. And, uh, we, you know, I just remember hammering him. I, I remember the first moment, like with this dude, he was bigger than me, right? So I was like, long as I walk 10 feet behind Luke, when he walks out on that, I, <laughs> I don't have to worry You're about breaking through and going down. Cause like, when you start out, like it's intimidating even touching that ice, like, cause you don't have any like uh, yeah. conception of like how, how thick, it, how thick is this ice? And, you know, you, I don't know whether three inches are safe to walk on or eight inches. Like it's all... <laughs> it's all confusing to me. So I just will walk behind him and, you know, we had a great time and that that's that. I mean, we, we basically, I think Luke and I fished every Monday without missing one. And I know that seems crazy and I'm not exaggerating this for maybe four years. No, I think he said something similar on the podcast really with us. That. He said that every Monday and, and he said Busty something Monday. to the effect that, yeah, that no, it was, it was more to the effect that, you know, not often can you get someone that said like when they tell you they're going to get up and be someplace at a certain time that they are there, but when they're there every single week, like that begins to, you know, you build, you build trust and you build, you know, a friendship just based on that type of reliability. And I know, you know, that, that, that type of consistency and the ability to rely on somebody means a shitload to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, the, this the musky called a sport, whatever. Uh, it's just easier to have two people. It's a hard mm. just carrying the gear. And, and we, we uh, this is funny, like people say you guys are, you know, you guys are business owners. Dude, we started out in like a 14, 15 foot aluminum boat that had holes in it, no outboard engine, the front tro- electric trolling motor. We had to like click the like the terminals on the, on the 12 volt to get it even to fire up. It would only fire up half the time. I had to bail out water every like half hour. We used to just try to find musky spots that would, that we believed that were just good right around where you could launch a boat because we couldn't travel away. That's exactly what we're, what we're talking about here is that type of stuff, man. Like none of us are, uh, you know, started off with any type of a, of a, you know, a big boat or anything like that. Like, how did you go from like you and Luke are fishing on a regular basis in this, in a small boat? Like, how do you go from like, how do you go to focusing on big fish spots? It's pretty simple for me to like, I I have some requirements if I'm going to go and fish a spot. I mean, I'll go fish anywhere, first of all, but, but if you were to let me pick specifically, I need a historical catch. Usually somebody at some point, I don't care if it was 40 years ago, something needed to be pulled out of that pool or area for me to, to be basically tipped off that there's a, a genetic in potential in that pool to target. Otherwise, like this is all, this is a percentage game. I, I work it out like a percentage game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, the problem they don't, you know, they're not catching a lot of big fish is because they tend to spend a lot of time 
in water that just doesn't have a lot of big fish. It's 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 not not any it's not complicated. Like people are like, oh, come fish Lake Wilhelm with me, you know, because everyone believes like there's this giant fish in Lake Wilhelm. Well, the truth is, is there probably is a giant fish in Lake Wilhelm. I it's too far away. First of all, I because because the dial in to get your pulse on that lake, you're gonna have to fish it. You know, you're gonna have to know it seasonally. You're gonna have to know their migration patterns, what kind of structure they're pulling up on. Okay, and it, like it's good to know where a big one was caught before because those fish take up territory on the prime locations, wh whether that's bait, you know, it's bait that they're favoring, whatever. So if you know a big one was caught one before, even if the guy kept it, what's going to happen is eventually another big one's going to come and occupy that space. Maybe there's a feeder creek where the suckers and the carp all pile up. That's a quarter mile away from where he likes to chill behind this little sand, you know, weed bar or something. And, and so having historical catch in the spot, in the lake, to show me that this is water that can grow big fish. I'd rather see more than one fish come out of there so it's not written off as like an anomaly. But, uh, you know, with the internet nowadays, especially now, it wasn't like this when I first started. It's just, it's, it's easy to know where the big ones come from. So I focus my time and effort in spots where I, I'm positive that they can get that big, whether I caught one there before or whether I've seen someone else catch one there before. It doesn't matter. I, like I feel like I, I just totally like jumped jumped away far ahead there with that question and i, I you know we were we can going go from, back one thing i wanted like, to talk cause about because i'm fascinated by you and luke's relationship and i didn't mean like you said that you guys started off like going on a monday and fishing you know in a in a little 14 or 15 foot boat and then you know how do you guys progress from there in terms of we're now going to figure out how to catch the biggest ones and we both work and we're we have one week to do one day consistently to do it a, a week right we one only, day. Yeah, that's a good point like we, we're, we're not full-time fishermen we were only right two two days a week in in a serious manner at usually at most we would have to schedule off a of work to have an extended trip to three three days that week or whatever so uh, right off the bat you are weather dependent you know, so if you get a bad stretch of weather on those two days that you happen to have off and you can't uh, fish, Owen, Owen, you, know, you think he cares, Owen? That out right away. It, it doesn't matter <laughs> if you had a tornado coming down the Allegheny River. That was just viewed as something that might change the, the feeding of the fish. Like, because weather, we'll talk about this later, but weather, in my opinion, is the number one deciding factor of how well you're going to do. And, and it's not always what's above your head at the moment. It's what's coming down the road. It could be a couple of days from now. But uh, yeah, no, there is never, ever, not once been one time where we looked at the weather on a Monday and said, we're not going to go fish because of the weather. I mean, we're ice fishermen, so cold will never stop us. Mm -hmm. We always had rain stuff. That never stopped us. And when I mean never stopped us, not only will we go out, but we would go out for 16 hours and then we would stay, you know, stay overnight, either in the boat, we'd sleep in the boat. We'd take cots and pack cots in the car. We'd take them in the boat. You'd find your general spot, whether, you know, usually for us is the river. We'd take all that shit and we'd just throw, throw the cots in a shoreline where it's inaccessible to people. We'd just let it chill there. And then it come nighttime, we'd go pick that stuff back up. And we didn't sleep on the shoreline. We shut, set that shit up in the boat 
Okay. And we kept fishing throughout the night. Like we'd go, we don't ever like to throw anchors, but we, you know, once you need to sleep a little bit, you want to pay attention, you want to wake up banging into a dam or something. So you throw the anchor yeah. down and, uh, you know, what's going nice over a lock three. Is, yeah. You, yeah. You get cold. We just stand up and just start casting. And I mean, it's no secret that Luke and I ran a lot of live baits still do. You know, I told you I'm a, you know, I'm a percentage guy. So you, you tell me I'm allowed to fish three rods. If I have accessibility to good bait, I'm going to cast and I'm going to hang bait off the boat too. You know, I have a, I have method, you know, the fish don't get hurt from the live bait. I know a lot of guys look down on that. I know a lot of guys have problems with that. I understand because I can see how it can go south pretty quickly. I'm not necessarily. Why does anyone have a problem with that when no one has a problem in the fall with sucker fishing? Everyone has. I mean, I think people have a problem. No, people do. Yeah, everyone. Does. This is do. something that I typically really? don't really talk about. Oh, yeah. Even with the quick strike rigs, and if you're doing oh, yeah. it right, oh yeah. yeah. If you're Listen, doing it you right, you want to go to the epitome of this. Sorry, sorry, Donnie, go ahead. No, go ahead, Nick. You're you're the. You're no, the it's all good. Here. You want to see the epitome of this? I mean, just look at the fly guys. You want to go to the far extreme of like uh, you know people who have an opinion about how you fish and how you're going to fish. You know, the, the elitist guys at the top are the, are the single hook fly guys. And you know what? They're right. If you don't want to hurt these fish, first of all, don't fish for them. Any of these guys that are complaining about quick strikes, you know, these are the same guys trolling triple jointed lures that have seven <laughs> odd treble. Right. Musky get wrapped up in a net with a triple jointed lure. Hooks you ever wonder why they don't have eyes? Right. Yeah. Hooks, in that, hooks everywhere. Yeah, and then they roll up in it and they curl themselves all the way up. Like like they're spinning up like a death roll up into the net with a lure attached to their face, hooking them in six different spots. I mean, so if you don't want to hurt these muskies, don't fish for them and don't, you know, it's 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 a it bothers me. The only guys that probably do well, minimal hurt to the muskies are the fly guys. But still, you land it on a fly and it takes you ten minutes or twenty minutes to get it in. You're still exhausting the fish. It's the bottom line. Right. You don't want to hurt them. Don't fish for them. Well, that kind of that kind of makes me think of when when Nick and I were up in Nick Fiesler and I were up in Canada. You know, we we spent a good amount of time. I mean, I've I no hooks, I don't know Danny. You, Danny Columbi. Yes, Danny Columbi is just like a, a legend up there. And at some point, he kind of got sick of hurting the fish, and he decided that he was going to he he actually one of his ideas was he would put fish oil or some type of oil all over a shadzilla that was unhooked that was unrigged herring oil herring oil that's it and and the idea was that that you know once the muskie grabbed on to that rubber you know piece that didn't have a hook that it would hold on to it because it's the hooks that keep it that, that will you know make it throw but obviously i don't you know i don't think that worked out quite One as well You'll catch one in ten if you get lots of. He mice. said that it stay on until the first head shake, and then it's, yeah, and then. But but goes. what he said was very interesting is that where you uh, a a musky head shakes off a bunch of you know seven aught trebles, you're never seeing that thing again. A musky shakes off a shadzilla that just has herring oil on it, it'll come back and follow that thing because right. it's not. You know, it didn't get hooked by it. Right. But anyways, I mean, yeah, there's the idea of not hurting these fish is not 
a new concept. And I think that everybody that does what we do and has an interest in doing what we do has an interest in protecting the lives of these fish, you know? So I like hearing from a guy like you that has spent a lot of time fishing and in using live bait and not having some like significant mortality rate that, that would, that would tell you, Hey, you're, you're somehow harming the fishery. I think the lures mess them up more. I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I fish a lot of lures. I'm not the I'm big not, rubber. I mean, how many, how many fish, how many of these muskies just inhale that big rubber and gets like oh, way yeah. down in the gullet? A lot. Yeah. Half of them almost. Yeah. You know, half of them. I fish a lot of tubes and the tubes get eaten up because of the shape of them. You know, tu tubes get swallowed up pretty easily, but I mean, it, you know, you can cut them out, but ju I, I just know that there's this, uh, there's this idea that the live bait is harder on the fish. And uh, you know what I, I think it sometimes might come down to is, is plain and simple is it can be easier for a novice fisherman to catch muskie with live bait and your mm -hmm. novice fishermen are going to have the least amount of handling experience. Right. And so you got guys that don't have a lot of handling experience that might be lucking into a fish basically because they got a nice live bait out there and then they don't know how to handle the fish as it's coming to the net. Whereas these lure guys, you know, they're catching lots of small fish. They got a lot of fish handling experience more than a live bait guys might have. And so, I mean, that, I think that variable will translate to how much fish actually are getting hurt. So every time you guys, every time you guys are going out to cast, are you thinking, okay, I, I mean, obviously if, if you're going to use live bait, you have to think ahead and prepare, have the live bait ready to. It's a whole different system. That's another reason why like the, the work that, go, well, first of all, our live bait, especially in the first five years, Luke and I caught all of it ourselves. Me and him would get into the creeks with four foot sains and we ripped that bait out of our local creeks ourselves. Uh, that expanded to the point where whenever they approved cast nets for our rivers down here, uh, we already were pretty experienced with the cast nets from, you know, Luke did some salt stuff and uh, he's, he throws all the cast nets. First of all, I, I make a point to never even practice. And <laughs> the reason is it's first, it's hard work. And that's really, really heavy. If you have to throw it more than once, you're going to get wet. And I don't like to get wet. Uh, and, you know, I just tell Luke, he's so good at it which he is that uh there's no reason for me to get in there and have a have a bad throw and screw up you know potentially getting a getting bait for the trip so he makes he's sense always yeah he's he's been in charge of but you better slow down on the gym then because if you keep lifting luke's gonna have an excuse he's gonna say nick you're throwing this net because it's you know mom we're gonna get to the gym <laughs> thing i mean that, i just started working out because you know i realized that luke was fit casting and put on like a 12 inch tube casting you know from a spot lock position launching these baits and i try to time mine to hit with his so we're making the same water disturbance at the at the same time and uh i, I just you know the first year we went up to uh canada i just noticed he was he got 10 feet on me and then i extrapolated that if you cast you know a, a thousand times with 10 feet extra feet now you're looking at 10,000 extra feet that you fished over me and obviously that could translate to catching more fish at a lot of casts feet and so, you know, I, I had a problem with that. I was like, I, I got to start going to the gym. So I started doing a lot of back workouts and, and, and uh, trying, trying to be able to rip that lure. That's a good fishing relationship, though, because you're both always pushing each other to be a little no, better, cast all, a little all, farther, all. stay out a little longer, you know. Yeah, so that, that's a good 
That's where I wanted to back up a little. You said you guys are you're out on the rivers, you're camping overnight, you guys are falling in love with musky fishing. So what took it to the next level there? I mean, it was intense. Before we had that rickety boat, I told you guys that we were pulling bait out and pulling suckers out. And the best bait I loved using was like a 10, 11, 12 inch sucker. We didn't, I'd use small bait if that's all I could get. But if you gave me a choice, I always used big bait. And uh, I don't know if Luke talked about this, but before we had a boat, we were short. We Our first year, I think we landed 31. And it was amazing because like we caught our first one and I didn't even like, it's just like, like we blew our minds. We actually caught a muskie. It just was something back then that was like fairy tale. And uh, we caught one and then, then, you know, caught another one the following week. And then, then we started catching them occasionally. Well, we bought these 14 foot bamboo poles, like just, they were like gardening yep. poles. We bought them off a guy and we would take these down to the, our rivers here and got all the rocks at the locks and stuff and we we would chain a clothespin to the end of the bamboo pole and we would basically you know you got the pole in and you'd you'd clip your line to the clothespin and then you'd go ahead and feed that you know bamboo pole out over the water and so some spots on these locks could be 20 feet deep. So if you could right off the shoreline, get a, a bait out, you know, 10, 15 feet, you put a sinker down, we could measure it. So that thing, that, that sucker couldn't make it to the bottom and not getting snagged is critical with live bait, especially when you don't have a boat. And it, you know, that's what makes shore fishing for muskies so hard is you get snagged and lose a quality bait. I mean, that's a lot of time wasted. You just don't have unlimited of those. And so, we would put these, this is one of the cool, I, looking back, I didn't appreciate it. It was one of the coolest things we did fishing was work with these bamboo poles. And, you know, we, we'd bring our girlfriends. And so we could get, uh, I think, 12, I love it. Bamboo, 12 of these bamboo poles out, man. We would occupy literally, like we, we'd space them out every 30 yards. And so we would just litter the entire, and back then, by the way, nobody was musky fishing. We, they, the guys would come down and throw walleye baits and they'd be like, what are you guys doing? And we'd lie to them and tell them we're catfishing, you know, <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, wow, you catch any big ones. Meanwhile, we're up like where there's no flatheads, they're only channel cats anyway. And uh, <clears throat> so what, what was so sweet about this is a lot of times the water was clear, you could see these muskies snaking down along the shorelines and they just come up and they just stare at the suckers. And I got to really learn a lot about muskie behavior from losing, using live bait because you get a lot of opportunities to just watch them act naturally around something, see how they investigate it, how they smell it. But uh, when they would hit these bamboo poles, man, these things would fire and double over like, <laughs> like a saltwater outrigger. And then when the clothespin would release them, they'd, they'd fly up in the air and they'd let it go. You'd reel down on your rod that you'd have wedging the rocks right behind the bamboo pole, reel down tight on the line, and you'd just set the hooks into these fish and you'd see them hit, which was the coolest thing. And uh, that's really, we did that. We were short pounding probably for the first 15 months of musky fishing that entire first year and uh then after the 15 months we we got into what we uh call hog hunter one which was the first boat no outboard had a hole in it uh we had hog hunter one for about a year year and a half and then we have a dear friend this is a great fisherman sandy kelson sold us his 16 foot lund and this thing was old but it was perfect. And so we had a legitimate, but we didn't even have a fish finder on the first boat. Okay. There was no fish finder. 
And, and so the second boat had a fish finder. It actually had working lights so we could fish legally at night because we couldn't get away with any. We didn't have that stuff on the other boat. Now, and, the, the, now it was the like second the first boat, time we were like legitimate, you know, the Lund, you mean that's the Lund that was is the first one that's legitimate? No, the first boat, who knows what that thing was. It literally had a shark mouth, like the fighter plane from World War II. It had a shark <laughs> mouth painted on the front of it. We bought it. He got it off of some guy. Like It, it was probably like behind a, a Walmart. 78 Grunman or something crazy. <laughs> uh, the second boat was a, it was like a 1993 ang, uh, Lund Angler, like Fisherman Angler. Blue. Was it green? It was legit. It was perfect, man. I love that. What boat. what type of what outboard? Did it have an outboard? Yeah, it had. It just had like a like a fifty or seventy or something two stroke. You know, we we you know we didn't have the current boat we have now. We got the eighteen foot tiller London brand new Luke's boat. Uh, we traded in the you know the uh, we co owned the second boat. I went in on that one, but then Luke wanted to pull the trigger on something we could take on bigger water, something that actually works. So. It took us about three, four years before we even got into a legitimate craft. Uh, and, you know, back then there were people musky fishing, not many. Uh, what happened is we ice fish and we landed that first big one that everyone knew about that was on the news and stuff. When we landed that fish, I, I had people reaching out to me and talking to me. And that's how I met a lot of my current still you know my friends that i still have that are that are local around here a uh, guy i'd love for you guys to uh talk to on the show sometime fred christensen i don't know if any of you know fred or ran into fred but fred is uh you know he's the local legend that's not yeah, me that no one talks about i mean he's caught he's caught a larger pa fish than i have and uh He's like a Howard Wagner type, kind of under the right Yeah, car. Fred's mythical. Well, I, we, we would be, we would love to, to you know, possibly have him on the podcast and talk, you know, tell some stories. Oh, uh, you guys would have a fantastic, he's very entertaining. He's, he's a, he's a great Where's guy. he from? He is up in the Cook's Forest area. Okay. Yeah, his family. So, so he fishes, does he fish the river up there? I mean, that's up closer that, towards the kids. I would say that the, the river belongs to Fred up there. Okay. Like he, he owns, like, they, they should put, like, a little memorial of him up there you know, where he fishes, a little bronze statue, not a big bronze now, statue. Now, the river up there is different than what guys think about as the river down here in terms oh, yeah. of it's it's definitely small a smaller body of water, you know, with, with the – there's not the pools that you have You're getting down very here. close to the pools there. First pool know. is not – it's, I mean, it's more natural. That's for sure. You get the, you get the, free, that is the original Allegheny. You get the free where all the little islands are all scattered through. That's what the whole Allegheny would have looked like before they locked it up. But I mean, the truth is they, these guys dredged all the way up to Starbrick. And this is another one of my little secrets. Like you got to find the dredges in our rivers because you, it's easier to find those fish if there's no dredges, because you can narrow it down to like the, some of the small pools, if you know if those exist in the area, or obviously the dams and locks, depending on the season. But they dredged the Allegheny in different areas all the way up to Starbrick. And I know every, of what I believe of every single dredge pool from Kinzu Dam, starting at the outflow, all the way to Pittsburgh. And so those dredge pools are absolutely critical 
for me to, to know where to start, depending on the season, depending on the water temperature, to fish for muskies in, in locally around here. Did you get that information from, else. did you get that information from like publicly available PA, you know, websites or is no, that something local. just you, you, you out there? Yeah, it's all, it's all mapping. local information and self, self found because I mean, there, the Allegheny shouldn't, even with the dam, especially the dams up there you shouldn't really have many spots deeper than 20 feet. If you got anywhere that's deeper than 20 feet, it's just, it's likely that it's been dredged out. And they, a lot of these dredgings happen, you know, wherever they had industrial stuff. So, you know, Mahoning, for example, was pretty industrial, you know, at some point they used to run a lot of stuff up that Creek. It's all silted in now, but I mean, there, there's a dredge right on the outside of that. But like I was saying in upper Allegheny, all the way up to Starbreak, which I think is only like four or five miles down from the outflow of Kinzu. I mean, there's a nice right. dredge up there. And if I live closer, I would spend more time fishing there. I wish it was uh, in my backyard. Now, why exactly is that? What about the dredged out areas is such a draw for you, if you don't mind me asking? Well, that star brick dredge to me is incredible because what happens whenever, you know, they're letting a lot of water out of Kinzu, they're letting out a ton of, you know, CFS out of there. What happens is all those fish enjoying themselves up at the dam get blown out you know, by that water, they don't like to fight it, especially if the water's cold. And so where do they end up? The very first slow pool downstream and the very, very first slow pool where a lot of fish can congregate like suckers and carp and shad uh, is going to be that star brick pool. So I would know to fish that pool depending on what the CFS is coming out of Kinzu. It would always, it would always, you know, be dependent on what they're pushing out of the dam because if they're not pushing a lot out i'm probably depending on the season i'm just going to go all the way up you know i like to go you know unnatural blockade for those muskies stopping them up there like i said i like percentages so that's a first spot on a milk run and then if i don't get action there usually after an hour or two you start you start moving to the lower pools I mean, it makes sense with the you know i mean a deep unnaturally deep spot the currents flowing right over top they can just lay in that slack water at the bottom yeah absolutely they feel everything i mean they like to get they love eating at night so i mean those fish they back off into those slow pools where they can hold up in the center of their water column they can feel 10 feet above them they can feel 10 feet below them they can't see much but they can feel everything going on whenever you put a predator in the dark i mean all stealth advantage goes to the predator those prey during the day whatever they're eating you know they they benefit from being able to see their predators coming at them and when they can't see them coming at them the predators can feel where they're at i mean i love fishing those deep pools at night especially at night and, and i don't play. care i don't care how cold it is generally either i mean the cold cold bother muskies is absolute myth in my opinion people just use that as an excuse to stay home and like oh the fish aren't going to be biting it's cold i mean they uh they can be incredibly active in the cold to the point where i went up to the upper allegheny once in late december it was right before new year's and the water temp was 35 air temp 21 snow all over the place snow in the boat and Luke and I probably counted 45 to 60 muskies sitting in eight inches of water on the shoreline, nosed into grass reeds, and they were active, they were feeding, 
Some of them were so shallow that their backs were sticking up about a quarter inch out of the water. They were getting snowed on. I could see snowflakes coming down and hitting these fish. And so the ones nosed into the weeds, I believe they all just fed and they were chilling because you'd throw stuff at them and they just ignore you or spook away. But if you backed off of that shoreline just by about 10 feet and started moving around, we started hammering fish. And it was freezing, it was cold. These fish were feeding in eight inches to three, four feet of water, not just one of them. I mean, I've never seen anything like that before. I didn't know fish existed in that numbers, you know, in that number in our areas, at least. It was, it was pretty amazing. See, Tom so would have taken you, that yeah, opportunity I hope to you're go listening, steal that fishing. Tom. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm listening. I hear it. Because the muskies don't bite, so you right. have to go fish for no, the, no. So that's... I try to tell Tom to fish in the winter, he usually sends some... <laughs> no, 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 no. trying to explain why there's no point to muskie fishing. <laughs> no. Yes. That's a bunch, 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 bunch of fake news. Fake news. Fake news. When I first met Nick, that was one of the things we used to go back and forth, kind of like if I was struggling, I'd shoot Nick a message and be like, what do you think about this? Like, if you were a muskie, where would you be? And everything that I like, I love night fishing and all the things I hear, like night fishing is typically like a summer thing or like a fall thing. And Nick taught me kind of that it, like he said, it, it does not matter. I mean, it's snowing and Nick's out there night fishing, like they're ice fishing in the dark. Like it, it does not matter. Like that, that, blew, that, that blew my mind personally i didn't yeah, i didn't it, know well, it either by the way that was a learned uh experience for me no one to, you know we would just fish nighttime because we'd be so far away from home it'd be a huge chore to pack all the crap up trailer up the boat and go home because we wanted to we were off the next day anyway so i mean you might as well just keep you know, rolling isn't there a musk famous musky book time on the water yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's no uh there's no substitution for that and so it was also one of my favorite things sleeping out at night on the boat and, well that actually that cool. kind of was one of my next questions was like you know when you're going to the upper allegheny is this on your monday normal fishing trip like this is just like if you guys are going to go out and fish on a monday you're like okay let's drive up to just below the kinzu and check this out for the next day or day and a half, you know, until whenever. Right. Uh, we were really motivated early on those first six years. I mean, we didn't, we never missed. And so when we'd get real juiced up and excited for a trip, we'd actually plan it and get off of work on Sunday. We'd work, do our shifts on Sunday. Car would already be packed. We'd be on the road by 8 PM Sunday night. We'd arrive, you know, going up North two, three hours for us usually. Uh, we'd get up there. We'd, we'd throw the boat straight in the water and start fishing. I mean, and this is Sunday night, knowing that we're off Monday and Tuesday. And so, okay. yeah, we, we, when we were juiced, I mean, I, I know I said we, we typically would only fish two days a week, but I mean, at its peak, we were pretty consistently doing uh, two days to three days, two overnights every single week. So, and we, we wouldn't leave the water. We never stay in motels or hotels. Really? Rooms. Yeah, we don't ever stay anywhere. I mean, why Why would you, especially if you have live bait. Now, if you are just casting, you can only do this for so long. It's better to go rest and recharge so you can yeah. come out the following day. But like I said, we were running live bait. We still like to run live bait. I mean, uh, you know, so there was never a reason to leave. We So our Mondays and Tuesdays, sometimes we would get 52, 56 hours of straight nonstop fishing. We really... Squoze the most out of our time, you know, to, to catch the fish. 
Now, here's a question for you. Like fish in the Allegheny, it seems like everyone uh, swears oh, that you need a, uh, a jet. Do you feel that's true? I mean, the water they're talking about is the water I'm not too interested in fishing anyway. Right. Which is those guys are puddle jumping, like in the really upper upper area. Which, that, I mean, if you're, you know, I know a couple guys, I think Ken Trail, uh, Childress, there's a couple guys up there that guide for smallmouth and muskie. And I, you know, I know they have jets and they're running jets. I've run into them up there. But um, I don't like to fish those shallow humps too much and puddle jump. So really, you don't need a jet. Right. You are perfectly fine with any outboard because at any launch, you can probably fish within about two miles of the vicinity around the launches. And there's so many launches going up that, you know, that really opens up a lot of the water. Now, I mean, you just got to know that, like, you launch in certain spots, you just you got to, you know, you got to prop. You can't just take off downstream and think right. it's going to be fine. You do have to have some awareness. Feel your way through. Yeah. Yeah. You got to read the water. And, and Luke and I, I mean, oh, Luke taught Luke. He's a savage, man. He will run the boat into rocks and things and like things that other people would ruin their day is just like eating breakfast for him, man. It's like he doesn't care. It's just a problem that we could we'll have to take. That's a problem for future people. Right now we're fishing. Like that's what fucking... I I'd like cringe the first time I ever went to Canada and I'm with my buddies. And we just, you know, my buddies, he's been going on, he's mom's from there. And you know, we roll up to this granite, you know, shoal and just hop out on the out of the bow and drag the boat right up, lift the prop up and leave the boat there, go hike around, whatever. Well, yeah. I think there's something to be said there for, you know, not fishing in a uh, $110,000 or $85,000, you know, fiberglass ranger, where if you're fishing in something a little bit more reasonable, you probably can access more water because you're not necessarily worried about that yeah. shit. Aluminum oh, on rock sounds... Right way better than glass crunching yeah <laughs> oh yeah with fiberglass you know oh and you're right but luke's boat 60 grand so you know he he has a beautiful boat and yeah he doesn't hesitate from running that iridescent metallic lund silver paint right into the rocks of the alley <laughs> hey good for him man hey he's, he's, he's a better man in the water me. just look at the prop and you understand how we fish Maybe I'm wrong here, but out of like the three rivers, the Allegheny to me kind of seems like the sketchiest one as far as that. Because I know like I fish the Mon, and if you hang to the middle of the Mon, you're going to be pretty safe in most scenarios. Like you, you'll run into some floaters in high water, but you're not going to see the kind of islands and like sandbars and lower unit ruiners that you'll run into on the Allegheny, right? Right. I don't have a lot of experience fishing, fishing pretty far up the Mon. I mean, I have been up there. A little bit here and there uh i always have believed that just like we were talking about earlier putting my time in the best spots and i always believe the allegheny held the biggest fish but i'm gonna tell you i, I think that's changing and or, or about to change because i mean i've lived in pittsburgh my whole life the mon seems cleaner than the allegheny almost all the time now which is really really interesting uh I don't know if the Allegheny and the Conowango from Chautauqua is just is it continuing the, the dirty up that or or what's going on if it's runoffs in the Allegheny. But the Allegheny on average has been dirtier than the Mon. And I mean that that for me, 
has always been a major factor in targeting muskies. I mean, I don't care about the weather or the rain. I do care if the water's chocolate milk. If the water is dirty and doesn't look good and it's high, the way it displaces those fish, it can turn them off real hard. That, that, that is something with, with you know, how I've, I am now compared to how I used to be. I, I used to never skip fishing for anything, but if there's no visibility in the water, that's the only time I'd probably just say it's, it's mostly a waste of time. I kind of mean as far as depth goes and like obstructions, because if you look at like a satellite view of each river, it seems like out of the three, the Allegheny would be the one where you don't really, like you said, you don't want to just throttle down and head downstream, you know? All the way up to lock nine, I mean, you're you're clear from top to bottom in all the pools. So, yeah. you know, all the way up past uh, Katanen, you keep yeah. going up there. You can run the rivers all the way up there. But the, yeah, it's just that upper that upper pool, that upper Allegheny, and uh, that's jet boat territory. Yeah, that, that's that starts to get in the jet boat territory. But uh, I, I still, you know, you'd be better off driving your car and jumping out at the creek mouths than trying to diddle around with a jet, in my opinion, pool to pool. You just go go spend your time in the money zones. Uh, there are a couple deep dredge pools in lock, you know, nine. That, you know, if you know about the, the, the special spots, otherwise state of the creeks, uh, state of the dams, state, state of the locks. And then if you know where the dredges are, the deep water, you know, that's, that's where all the fish are. Eddies, eddies are a big deal on the Allegheny. You'll see how that water will come down from those locks. You'll usually have your first bend that water gains momentum around that first bend. And as it's coming to the second bend, usually in a lot of spots, there'll be a big, I like to call them salad bowls because it's like toss and get your salad toss. You look in there, you see weeds, you'll see garbage and cans and all kinds of shit that, you know, blows down from the dams. And, you know, those salad bowls, a lot of times are really, you know, they're the deeper water. And then, and not just, I mean, the reason the muskies are there is because all the fish end up a lot of times in those zones. And so, you know, the muskies are always right behind the food. <clears throat> now, when was, did... Oh, go ahead, Nick. I was finding it crazy. There's that one video of the guy catching one in one of the locks, and it's just, you know, I mean, it looks like the driftwood on the shore at Lake Erie, just all floating in there. Oh, Whatever yeah. the, the trash compactor room out of Star Wars in there. Is that the, like, video where you can't even, like, he's, like, jigging through? Yeah, like, like, just <laughs> sticks, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Looks you like know, he's the in. fish love getting under that stuff. Yeah. They don't care. That's about. river fishing, Nick. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's bizarre for me. That's a foreign yeah. concept. but uh, That works up in Canada, too. I mean, yeah. I, I go up there, and, you know, I love fishing rivers way more than lakes. And so when I'm fishing a river up there, I mean, you hit the dams, you get that stuff floating around, even in that pristine, beautiful water, clear water up there. Those fish just can't help it. For whatever reason, they look up and they see just a pile of shit, and they just, just like a cat will like get it's into cover, a box. You know? Yeah, yeah, just like a cat gets into a box if you set it in the middle of your room. Like the muskie is just, <laughs> they just go and they find themselves just getting underneath that thing. It makes them feel safe. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've pulled up to them with like a jigging bait, and I'll just really softly underhanded like six feet seven feet from the boat luke does it all the time hits and like there's, there's a fish sitting right under there and it'll smash yeah. it immediately like they were waiting for it it's so cool <laughs> so get i mean we talk a lot about the rivers and stuff and you got your guys's boats and all that and i think one of the reasons that maybe you and luke are the most well known is for the whole ice thing because i know that was another thing i had never i didn't even know that existed muskies through the ice 
So right. when when did that whole thing happen? Like that whole transition? Is that something Luke kind of put you on to or the first muskies were through the ice actually. Uh, okay. and then it, when we started getting those muskies from shore, that was after ice out. And so the very first muskies, you know, the very first muskie I caught was through the ice, like 2013. And uh, I didn't know it was possible when we started. We had an idea that we were going to try to catch them when we started. We didn't really know what we were doing. And there wasn't a lot of information, still isn't, on how to do it. And so Luke and I have also never paid a guide before to take us fishing. And it's no nothing disrespectful to any of the guides rather than it's just like half the fun is figuring out this stuff on my own and, and working out my methods. And, and, you know, I just don't want somebody necessarily show me what to do or show me the spot. It's been Tom really just cool, went from six to midnight, you know, <laughs> <laughs> figuring that out myself. Uh, what, what, what was your question, Tom? Just oh, like ice. that, the whole transition of how did it go from camping out and sleeping in a boat on the river to hauling all the gear out on the ice? Yeah. So, you invited me out there we went out to the ice and we were only using shiners uh when we started because we were you know we were interested in catching walleye and stuff too there there was a scope of like hoping and trying to catch for a muskie you know that was yeah always thought to be like you know really cool but I, i'm not going to act like that that's the only thing we were trying to do and uh we got tipped off on a spot you know by lee murray from lock three bait shop Lee told us, you know, where we're a good place to go and try to fish. And we went there and we set up our tip ups, you know, 10 tip ups. And we had like, th- you know, two, three inch shiners on. And, you know, I'm sure Luke probably told you that was the day where we both, he iced the first one, which was the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it absolutely blew me away. I was super jealous and uh, not more than like, I feel, you know, late. Think it was later that day it was either later that day or the following day because we slept out uh no it was the following day because we went 16 hours without another bite after his musky and we just how many tip-ups do you set like when you go on a musky trip like this yeah five you're allowed five tip-ups per person as okay i didn't know that i've never never ice fished so i i apologize for my ignorance no this was a huge (laughs) draw too like I, i like the percentages so like yeah fishing suckers off those poles we appreciated how they could just be suspended in the zone where they would never get snagged and they could they just would perpetually fish until we had to leave uh and then we knew if we did that time was on our side if we could just stay on the water well the same exact principle applies to setting a tip up over an ice hole you have a perfectly presented bait the baits will not die they work down there and long as you can just spend time and just stay on the ice and keep out there it's just a matter of time but you can basically fish through the moon phases so if you're a person that's worried about like oh i gotta fish the moon phase don't worry about it just fish for 48 hours and you can just hit you can just hit them all over and over and over again well that was kind of what reagan had said a while back was you know you if you really think about it, the moon phases are such a big part of the day. I mean, if you're going to fish the entire day, you're going to fish the moon phases. Two, and you're yeah. going to, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you may want to try to get to a bigger spot, you know, your big fish spots, but ice fishing, you're not moving spots. Are you like, you're setting up five tip ups and no, you just, yeah, you don't, well, I mean, you already picked the spot better. 
at it, we would move spots all the time because you okay. know where the next spot is. Right. But when you first now, are you scroll, using no, electronics at any of these spots? Uh, we had a flasher, but it was for nothing more than just getting the depth. Depth, yeah. Yeah, it's just looking at the depth. It's easier than dropping that sinker down and, and doing arm arm measurements. So, you know, that was just convenience of depth. But I, I mean, it was cool to mark bait. If I ever mark bait on a flasher, school of crappies, you know, I might put my bait in a, a way to, to try to take advantage of that if I saw that. But if I didn't mark anything, I didn't like move or anything. What it, what it came down to was just, you know, you look at your spot how many baits can you put out? We would drag our girlfriends out there again. It was a critical part of our success. And so you can so put 20, us, you can get 20 tip ups. Now. Yeah. Yeah. 20 baits out. Exactly. Right. Uh, and I think the most we ever fished at one point where we had a party out there, not like a literal party, but like we had their <laughs> friends. And, and what's funny is we would f only invite people that didn't fish. All right. And <laughs> stay away from it. You guys yeah, hang out over here. Start drinking. We're we'll going to buy the beer. Yeah. Here's we'll buy 20 beer. bucks. Get your license. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, we'd buy licenses for them. If they, if they if like, it came to that, they'll be like, oh, well, awesome. I don't have a license. And we'd be like, don't worry about it. We got to get that. We got you. <laughs> yeah. We got you. And uh, that's included in your package. You're part we, of the yeah, team. We got all the tip ups rigged. We're ready to go. We want to put all this, all this gear in. We're going to be here for three days. So, like, it makes the effort worth it. Just quiet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I could, dude. So, so this particular, when we did get, we got like 25 or 30 tip ups out on the water. It was awesome. We ended up catching like seven muskies that day, but uh, we invited these people out, right? And Luke and I used to drink. We both don't drink anymore. I think Luke's like four years or something. I'm, I'm coming up on two. Good for you. And uh, yeah, we wrapped that up. I, I had some, uh, pancreas problems like a year ago and i you know just for health reasons that's that's that you know you, you grow up eventually you start, start yeah as much i'm not saying quit completely but you know, right oh no, no absolutely i can relate uh, to that for sure uh, yep. i've seen that's it's that's really hard stuff to deal with and i have a lot of respect uh respect for you for dealing with that because it, it, it took up like two and a half years of my life dealing with that but uh we got out there, everyone's having a good time and drinking. And like, this was early on. We hadn't caught a lot of fish up to this point, but we had caught some. So we like, we had the confidence, like we're in the spot. We know they eat these baits and uh, we just got to put in the time. And I want to say we had six people out there and there was this old, old guy, customers of Luke's and uh, older gentleman. I want to say he's in his 60s, 70s. Mind you, it's about eight in the morning. Well, this dude showed up drunk. He was already wasted when he showed up and he pulls two Jeez. bottles of red wine out of his truck. He huh. was like already kind of stumbling around. Well, we went down, we got everything set up and, and he's drinking with these girls and he, he looks and he goes, guys, he's like, we're out. I'm going to go get some more wine out of my car. He goes, runs up the hill. There's three feet of snow on the ground, right? So he's getting wine out of his car and an hour goes by he's not back we're like oh he must have passed out or something or, oh boy you look up the hill and there's six police officers five firemen and a bunch of uh, ems people all silhouetted <laughs> on the top of this hill staring down at us looking at us ice fishing cops and everything we could see the fire trucks in the background turns out this guy went to take a piss forgot to pull his pants back up and so he was stumbling through three feet of snow in these people's backyards trying to regain access to the ice. And at this point, we already landed like four or five muskies. And I look up the hill 
and me and Luke start walking over and, and, I, and, the, and the guy goes, everybody get off the ice. He starts screaming on it, screaming at us. And we're like, what's going on? And it, it turns out this guy like pissed all over himself and they, they screamed at us. And I look up and the guy goes, are you local? And like, we're from Pittsburgh and we're only like an hour north. And so I felt local and I go, yeah. And he goes, what county? And I'm like, Allegheny County. He screamed at me. He goes, Armstrong County. And he, he screamed the like local thing and they, and they, they kicked us all off. <laughs> and they made us pack all our shit up and they uh they made us get out of there man and, and all we, because one dude pissed so himself because we were killing it what's that all because one dude pissed himself yeah he's drunk they they thought he was like you know people were concerned <laughs> there. like, there's an old man stumbling through our backyard he's not wearing any pants you there know you go, was that Don senior first oh, case of yeah. uh, <laughs> lost muskies uh reparations the lawyer in me, the lawyer in me says that does not make much sense because I don't see how they can how they can like kick you off of the water for someone else's uh, individual behavior. Believe me, I know how officers can be at times and it can be they can be aggressive when whenever, uh, you know, they they want to be in control of the situation. So I can see how it can, it can turn out that way. It sounds like you bad. need to start bringing yeah. some legal representation on the ice with you, Nick. In case well, no, I mean, I mean, uh, think about that. Like, how can, some, how can someone tell you you can't fish on a, you know, if you if you are legally ice fishing on that lake, like you have absolutely no reason to be told that you cannot do that anymore. This was before I understood all of that. I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about now. I've had my fair share of, uh, you know, game officers, you know, in different words and telling them you know the fuck off but, but back Dude, game then, officers are the worst man you know? game officers are the <laughs> yeah. worst i deal with everything from state police uh you know local police everything you know everyone is reasonable these game officers man whoo like the, they can the be really hard to deal here. with we love like uh, reject- all officers <laughs> Shots they fire. On their shoulders. please don't they harass us Owen doesn't speak for all of us, officer. You guys have never dealt with a game officer in court. Oh, I'll I've say dealt that. with them. I've dealt just, with them. Yeah, you just stay I'm on just the water. I'm just not going to say it out leave. loud. I've had nothing but good experiences with game officers. Well, that's just because you're such a yeah, like. because you're guy, Ryan right? Reed. You make videos at their places. Yeah, because they they're like, oh, look at like you. you. You're Ryan Reed. You're like a YouTube star. My most my most criminal offense was there was one guy standing on shore. I think he was trying to wave us to shore to check our licenses, and we were just trolling around. It was like, mm, sorry. What? what? I didn't hear Hi. you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We'll, we'll be done at dark. It's fine. Thank you. Pull over. No, it's a cardigan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> So, Nick, one thing I wanted to ask you, you kind of got at it earlier when you were talking about wedging the bamboo pools down on the rocks to hang your suckers and stuff. I mean, most people, when they start musky fishing, it's kind of like a bucktail or a topwater, you know, casting, shore fishing, whatever. How do you go from that mindset to this crazy, unconventional mindset of doing all these weird things that nobody's ever heard about? We're tinkerers. I mean, I love to, to mess with my baits. I love to adjust them. You know, if I could, you know, take you to the tackle room, all the 
unique like inventions that, that Luke and I have designed that put on our rigs, like different attracting uh, attractors and, and they're all handmade. You know, we had all the components are, you know, just like Owen makes bucktails, we'd order this stuff special. And uh, there were just years of perfecting this uh, over and over and over again. You know, I used to make this teaser to put on the sucker's tail, you know, and I'm sure you can see variations of this online, but it's not common where you take this teaser and basically you put a, you know, a tiny like, you know, size eight hook through the tail and attach to that as a steel wire with like a uh, little a tiny Colorado blade. So every time that sucker moves its tail off the back end, we, you know, you put a silver one on or an orange one or a chartreuse, you know, it th throws a ton of light. So the sucker would have to move very little to, you know, to give off this action, which a lot of times that's a problem if your bait's not very lively because lively bait gets bit. If it's not very lively, if you can enhance it somehow to make it have more action like these teasers can provide, you know, it would literally, you know, I don't know how much it increased your chance of the bite, but we got significantly more bites when we started really messing with the gear. And I mean, it's something I've always loved to do. And the evolution of the gear was a big deal because like those teasers were all right on the suckers, but sometimes, you know, you'd lose them in the net, they'd get ripped out of your bait, you know, sink to the bottom of the river. That's not okay. I don't like losing littering stuff into the river. And so that eventually had to evolve to a point where we started, you know, tying these off to the actual uh, rear hook so that they, they be impossible for them to come off, you know, of the bait. And so the evolution of the rigs, the design of the rigs, all original, I've experimented with all kinds of different like leader lengths and, and, and really perfected the safest leader. Cause that was always my goal was not to, to gut hook muskies because that was always the kick on live bait is that you're gonna kill the fish cause it's gonna swallow your hooks. Well, I figured out ways to make those leaders a length specifically long enough so that when, you know, those fish engage the bait first and foremost whether I'm on a live bait rod off the boat or even on a tip up our gears locked down because I don't want that fish to have a moment with that bait, you know, beyond the hit. As soon as right. it hits, I want there to be tension on that line, pulling my bait, hopefully in an opposite direction. If it is loose and you got drag on there, you're letting that fish run around. It's, it could be, who knows what it's doing with your bait down there. It could have blasted through it and it's about to chomp down the other half of, you know, your, your quick strike rig and swallow your hooks. And so if I figured out if you can measure these leaders in between your treble hooks, whether it's a, a quick strike in the ice or a quick strike, you know, on the boat off a boat rod, you know, you only want those leaders to span no more than about six, six and a half inches apart from each other. Because one of those hooks almost always gets caught on the outside of the fish's face, preventing that other hook that's only been measured six inches back. That one will be in the back of the throat. It won't make it to the sock. The goal is just not to let that hook get back into the Go all the way down fish. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm not here to uh, make up any stories. If I, if I could estimate how many treble hooks I've had taken all the way back, I'd probably say like four. I want to say I've had four out of, I don't know, maybe 200, 250 fish. Right. So, if you look at it like that, you're looking at about a one to 2% chance mm -hmm. of it occurring. So it was, it was very, very infrequent that that would ever happen. Uh, uh, here's a question for you. Like when you're doing the tip ups, 
do you like i've seen guys talk about like stomping on the ice to trying to get them to kind of flush away do you do any of that or oh yeah the biggest fish i've ever seen caught uh in pennsylvania we're fishing one of our spots and is that the one that was in the it was in the paper no 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 not this one this was this one was more recent than that uh this was a legitimate 50 pound muskie that I, I saw. I mean, we didn't weigh it, but I, you know, I, I, I've seen legit, I've, I've held legitimate 45s. This was bigger than anything I caught. I got my hand on its tail, you know, helping manage the fish. And it was absolutely un- unbelievable. But uh, to answer your question, muskies aren't, they're the apex predator down there. Noise intrigues them. Okay, whether that's the outboard engine, whether that's your trolling motor on the front, right. all right, they're not bothered by fish finder sounds. They're used to that stuff. Coming to see who's it, in I their neighborhood. Tips them off. I, I've just seen too much uh, fish interaction with banging around the boats and they're staring at my Medusa or whatever and they're looking at it like nothing else is happening around them. These fish get tunnel vision. They're a predator. When they get locked in thinking about eating the bait, they don't really care about it. They're not scared of anything down there. They're the king of the water while they're down there. The only thing that's going to bother them is another muskie that could be twice its size and that's not usually happening when I got a 40 plus looking at my lure. They're not worried about anything going on and so we were fishing and I wanted to fish the river the first day I caught an awesome like 13 pound walleye it was worth it but instead of my buddy fishing the river with me he went and drug his stuff out to the like the money spot the spot the spot the reason why we're up here is to fish that spot he snaked me you know you're supposed to come down and fish the river with me he took his stuff alone that morning drug it out there set it all up and, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm all for fairness, right? We all fish our own gears. It's not like uh, I take this fish, you take your, that fish. You get five tip-ups. You can catch three in a row if they're all hitting your tip-ups. So your, your spot placement is relatively important. So the way we'll do this is like, just like an NFL draft, you go out there with the auger, you got three men or two guys, you know, you get to take the first one, I get the next two. And then we're going to alternate our holes after that because i mean some spots are incredibly valuable like there's one particular spot that you know i might have pulled 450 inches none of them were the same out of the same area and it was that one hole i don't know what it was whether it was a you know straddling like a like a rock bed or whatever it was right off the shoreline and year after year after year i caught a really nice one on new year's day there ice fishing and so anyway, this is like four years down the road. My buddy Fred snaked me on that hole before Luke and I could get to the spot. He ran out there under the veil of darkness and set up his stuff. Okay, we pull out there. He's already all set up. And there was three feet up snow on the ice. So it took Luke and I almost two hours to drag the gear to spot because you're not allowed four wheelers on our lakes here in the state. And uh, it was a horrible drag. We get out there. Is that right? You're not allowed four-wheelers out on, on lakes in the state? Because I see guys. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I see guys do it on my lake, and, you know, it's a little questionable. The only legal place you can do it is Lake Erie if you have private access. And, and this is just what I know from the Facebook, like, you know, rule. rule uh, I, you know, I think 
like Owen, what you're thinking of, they might be leaving from their own property or something. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, I'm sure it's private access. I, I'm yeah. I guarantee it's private access. But if you're coming out of a like state launch or state property, you're not. No, they don't let you do it. And it's because they want all crafts on the water to be registered. Right. So if you have like one of those, I don't know, I forget what they're called. They got wheels on them. But if you, they also float, you can go through creeks with them and stuff. You can get those registered as boats. You could, you could tow your gear out with one of those, or even yeah. a fan boat would probably be Tug, the best. Tuggers, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah something that's... like that. So we drag all the way out there, and uh, I go to drill my first hole. Mind you, Fred stuff's all out. I punch that hole through. I look over my shoulder. And he put his flag in that money spot that I talked about a minute ago that I pulled all my 50s out of. He got there before me and got that spot. And sure enough, man, he pulled the biggest fish I've ever seen come out. And it was only about six degrees outside. And so we got we had really limited like interaction with the fish because it was up and back down like within a moment. Fred's really like he cares more about the fish than catching the fish. And so he pulled that thing up and shoved it right back down the hole. But I can't, I mean, it, it squoze it in on the sides on a fresh 10 inch hole and it scraped all its bellies up, its belly up when he pulled it up and out. I mean, it didn't hurt it, but like you could it just right. fill it up the entirety of the hole. And so, I mean, I, you know, that yeah. fish girthed around 28 and a half, 29 inches. Absolutely unbelievable. A lot of people tell fish stories that they, they, they think they have a girth fish like that, but I've actually seen fish over many, a bunch of fish over 26 come out of our zone. And so going back, you guys are talking about like fishing uh, St. Clair. Like I won't fish St. Clair. Uh, Luke's gone to fish that spot. I won't fish that spot just because I don't believe I got a good chance at a 55. They get caught there sometimes, very rarely. Usually it's going to be a guide that goes out a hundred days that year on the lake, you know? So for someone like me, you know, I still fish locally, you know, for fun, but, but I've really gotten like this bug where I want to push the the limitations of how big these fish get. So I really love my destination fishing and like St. Clair is just not a place I'm even remotely interested in fishing because your average fish out of there is going to be like 47. Sounds like Nick might be interested in a little Lake Nipissing trip. Yeah. I've, uh, I've never been there. I mean, I've heard great things. I, I got Malax on my list. I want to go get a fish out of Malax. But uh, me and Luke right now, we got a really good thing going where we've been fishing up on the St. Lawrence. And like I said, I'm a river fisherman. Like I love fishing the current. It's a lot. The, the fish are stronger. You think a fish out of a, a big musky out of a lake is, you know, fun to catch, man. Wait, like the ones out of the river up there, it's like getting hooked up to a jackhammer. Like yeah. literally, literally a jackhammer. I've had them take me off guard. And before I even know to set the hook, they'll have seven head shakes in on me and already thrown the hook and already, it was, it was a learning phase up there. It's a totally different monster. It's fun. Now, what caused now, that transition? You... Because, oh, go ahead, Owen. No, go, no, no, go ahead, Tom. I was going to say, I think back in the day, maybe let's rewind like five, six years, you were pretty much like a Pittsburgh faithful. I mean, maybe I'm wrong there, but then I no, think at right. some point, at some point you kind of graduated to traveling a little bit. And I mean, what caused that? Was it just like the pressure around here or just like the better opportunities as you travel or? <sighs> you just started to catch. Uh, we went to, to, you know, on the Allegheny one day, 
up north and we landed 48 muskies in three days jesus uh the first day was my my personal best single day for cast uh for you know casting and, and we got a bunch casting we got a bunch of live bait they were hitting everything uh i caught 14 i, I netted 14 myself that's all right one day and the boat total in one day one of those days was 24 oh my god and so is this middle of the year? I mean, is this like spring? Is this fall? What what type this of day fall. is this? This was fall. This was okay. fall probably ooh, October-ish. October-ish, it was cold. I mean, it's a, I love fishing in the fall. There's no better time to be on a boat in the fall time. And what um, you'll, you will run, you, will you run two live bait rods off the back of the, uh, of the, of your boat and then cast off the front or how do you guys set that up no we starfish it man there's two uh 12 foot rods totally out to the sides off the bow two equal size rods going off the transom starfished in opposite directions and then uh we got we're allowed to yeah and then we cast the other two rods and you just gotta it's hard work because you hook up casting and then you gotta avoid all your live baits i mean it's well yeah i mean that's a that's a big thing yeah no there's a huge chance to it but i mean the truth is you're working musky gear you snag your live bait you just bring all the gear into the net anyway right you know i snag my rod off the back i'm not gonna stop fighting this musky and act like that that rod on free spool is gonna stop me from ripping this thing into the net because i don't fight fish i mean the, the the fish are strong but i mean i weigh 185 pounds i got 100 pound braid i'm they're coming home i'm bringing yeah. them in the longer you got a fish on the line and you're just giving it opportunities to get off if you if you keep playing around with it um right but you know so we we landed all those fish up there and i don't know you know i, I don't think i've ever really told many people how many fish we caught in that stretch but, but the point of that is it really opened up my eyes because we caught the same 46 incher three times in that three day span yeah and one of the times it was like 300 no like it was like a half a mile away on the opposite side of the river and this was within 24 hours so like how did you confirm that is that that by pit tagging or like i mean how do you was that just by i mean this is funny like i can tell by touching them there's some fish i've picked up where i'm like i've touched this fish before (laughs) and then i'll go and and like look at the photos and we'll start matching spots and it's obvious it's true well this fish in particular was incredibly uh skinny which made it very very easy to identify identify yeah it was a super skinny 46 inch it was a male giant head on it too so they just look like an empty sock with this giant cinder block on the end of it and uh yeah we caught it once casting and then we caught it twice on live bait and i mean it kind of made me sad honestly and after we caught it the third time we were like that's it we're done we're out of here and if this is the apex predator in this area is that kind of your thought like if this guy is the is what is eating in this area like let's get out of here it's that i exhausted the resource all right there's only so there's only so many fish in the water if i'm but that's kind of what i mean yeah if i'm hooking into like if this is the guy that yeah if this is the guy that you keep hooking like this is about what you're gonna get out of here right yeah it's, yeah, it's, well, it's ridiculous to think about, but sometimes, you know, you ever catch a bunch and then it goes cold and you're like, oh, I guess we caught them all. 
Uh, well, it was one of those situations. You land 48 fish, catch the same one three times. Like, we need to go to another spot. Like, I don't want to keep catching the same fish over and over again. How many of their, them can there really be? We were already in astronomical numbers. And so what's funny about that is it did make me really sad to catch because I felt like I was kind of fucking with them at that point. I didn't I don't want to catch the same fish three times. I'd rather catch them once and not see them again for five years. You know, that, that would be ideal. I don't want to put a bunch of holes in these fish's face. I mean, and Tom so- has pet muskies. <laughs> in his spot <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. how many how many times have you caught one fish the same quite a few times yeah yeah I have a couple big ones I, uh, too i have one that i na- renamed is uh jordan alexander too because he shows up on my boat more than my old boat partner these days so. <laughs> <laughs> here's an, another fun thing to, to think about is Luke and I, I don't have an exact number, but I'd say out of the Allegheny area, we probably landed around 500 muskies. And what's fun about that is, is when you start extrapolating the numbers and, and like we stopped really counting in our later years. Like once we got over, we, we got up to 121 and we were counting frequently all the years before that. And then the following year when we broke 120 again, we just were like, we, we stopped counting fish. We started counting 50s. And so- right to estimate like the 500 that we caught out of the Allegheny area, I would say out of that 500 and it's hard. I don't like to include ice fishing in it, but I guess I will out of that 500 only about 2050s. And so you can see if you put in the time and you know what you're doing, you're going to have to go through this many fish on average to be able to catch that 50 incher. And so, you know, once we extrapolated those numbers and figure out how much time you have to fish, when it got to that point, you know, I, we started looking at other spots basically, because I know I want to catch a double nickel. I want the 55 incher, the largest fish I've ever caught uh, lengthwise. It's just a little over 53. And so I, you know, Luke's got the 57 and three quarters, 57 and three quarters. Yeah, That's a gigantic fish. I always emphasize the three quarters. Cause I mean, Luke was literally two inches and one quarter away from a five foot muskie. I mean, I saw yeah. the fish. There's a picture of it on the bump board. It's a legitimate measure. And uh, it really was almost 58 inches. And what's funny is when he had that fish in the bag, he hooked it right next to the boat too. He's just, oh man, just hanging a lure there. Hang, like we were 20 feet of water. He's just hanging his rod right off the side of the boat. Really? Not doing that. anything. Not doing anything. I'm looking at him. He actually like reached down to pick up a coffee or something. And when he, before he got to that, he like, he got a tap on it and I watched him set the hook. He pulled it off and I was like, Oh, wow. Maybe Luke caught a 55 incher. Cause that was both of our goals. Up, you know, we were trying to crack the 55 mark. And uh, when that thing laid out to 57 and three quarters, like I was like, Oh my God, that was a, the unbelievable, unbelievable fish. I mean, the head was almost two feet long and, uh, Going back to fishing high percentage spots, man. I mean, I landed. That was a St. Lawrence area fish, right? Oh, yeah. They don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and that's there's no giving away that spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, to know that fish came from the St. Lawrence is not a, a giveaway. No, not at all. I mean, it, if you, you catch a 57 out of PA, you got the record, especially oh, if you hell get yeah. it after November. 
if you can get it after November, if you if you catch a 55 in our state right now and it's at after November, you probably are going to be flirting with that 55 pound range. Now, I know in Canada, a lot of these major musky waters have gone from a, you know, purely weight based record system to kind of a, you know, catch and release length length-based system and you know uh, you know nick fiesler may be able to you know kind of you know talk about that a little more but i I know there's a lot of fish that have been released that may not have been weighed like you guys didn't weigh that 57 and three quarters inch fish it was you know i wouldn't have weighed it even if uh (laughs) okay scale Uh, it was probably like 35 pounds yeah so that's clearly not, I mean, you've caught heavier fish. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. By, by a long, yeah. Yeah. Be much heavier fish. Uh, not, not that that doesn't take away from it. I mean, we caught that fish. It was like about summertime, you know, it was warm out then. And, and to have a fish that long, it had to be over, I'd say around 25 years old. Now, when you guys go to the, to the St. Lawrence like that, do you treat it the same as you were going to the, uh, to the Allegheny where you don't book a hotel, you just go up there and fish for X amount of days, or do you actually set a trip where you will have a place to stay and, you know, have a little bit of downtime from the Allegheny. It's all casting up there. Uh, I've never drug live bait anywhere except for Pennsylvania. Um, So all of our fish out of state have all been casting fish and no trolling fish at all. Uh, You don't troll at all. No. No, I, you know, I don't hate it. Not anti-trolling, but it just like the ice fishing and every, you know, it's and the live bait fishing. It's just a whole different setup. Mm-hmm. And Luke and I just, we, we cast, you know, it's more of a finesse fishing style. We like to pick part, you know, spots around. Whereas, you know, we're fishing rivers again. I feel like trolling, trolling can be great on rivers, but it's, it's a good lake tactic. A lot of times to attack lakes because you just want to grid off large swaths of areas and flats and just, you know, just mow them over looking for fish, whereas rivers, you got a lot more currents to deal with. So it's a little more difficult to make sure your baits are running in the right way. And <clears throat> we do get a hotel when we go up there. Uh, we, we, it, and first of all, like it's way more intense when we do these trips. Because first of all, you're spending money, you're traveling nine hour drive. Uh, it's not very expensive, but it's like the Super Bowl of fishing for us when we get to mm-hmm. go on these trips. We're fishing anywhere between 16 and 20 hours a day. Uh, How many days do you go for? Is this like a long weekend or you do yeah, this for five, a week? Five, 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 six days at least. Okay. And, and we'd go for two weeks worth permitting. This is just what we were able to get out. Right. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, dude, I, I would go for a month if I could. I mean, we're like, trying to do but... something like that in, in all seriousness. I mean, we're, we're interested in, Maybe not a month. So my two, two weeks. I have, believe me, I've part of my five-year plan, and Tom will tease me about me always having five-year plans. But part of my five to ten-year plan is to actually take maybe sixty to ninety days and fish up uh, on Lake Nipissing in the French River and write a book. basically along the lines of uh you know like you mentioned the time on the water book where a guy just goes and like decides hey i'm just gonna you know i'm just gonna escape life for 
X amount of time. I don't think I could do it just like him and do 120 days, which is basically what, what he, what, uh, what Gardner did, I think. But I think that I could pretty, pretty safely do 60 to 120 days. I mean, 60 to 90 days and really be able to, you know, fish every single day and encapsulate that if I could possibly figure that out with work and family and, you know, all these other right. things. But I mean, that, that is absolutely something that, that is part of my plan. Right. In no, worst case scenario, it's like a shutter Island type deal where we get to watch you lose your mind over the course of like a few days. Right. I'll go crazy. Yeah. I find this concept so amazing because Owen gets like two hours a year to fish we're talking going from two hours a, a year to like two months all at once. That's I feel like that's way too that, much. Awesome. That's my mindset. That's, that's my mindset is like, okay, if I'm, if I know that I want to do a certain thing, I want to find and my certain thing is really along the lines of Nick is catch a 55. I have a 54. Like I want to catch, uh, like I only want to catch a big fish. That's like my fishing around here or like at my lake, you know, which I can, I don't consider that I'm ever going to break my, my PB fishing at Canadota. I really don't. But I do think that if I really put my mind to it with what I've, with the experience that I have up on Lake Nipissing and the opportunity that I have with Reagan owning a place and like, you know, you can do a lot of things when you, you, you have someone there to help you, you know, and it's, this isn't a, a certain thing that I think that I could just go and do it on my own. Like, it's like, this is something that I think that like a total adventure, like a total, you know, anomaly from my normal lifestyle to say, Hey, I'm going to go up there and for 90 days, or for, let's say 60 days, I'm going to fish. I could stay at Reagan's place. You guys will all come up and, and see it here this, this fall. But from, from his place, I could fish for a month, two months and never fish the same spots right. and, and go down onto the French river. And, you know, there are just so many options that if, if you could possibly anybody that would have that opportunity, not just me, I mean, like anyone that could possibly block off 60 to 90 to 120 days to go and say, I'm going to fish. That's it. Like, I'm going to deal with my problems. I'm going to, if I have outboard problems, I'm going to, you know, like, you know, Gar Bill Gardner writes about, you know, when he's got problems with his boat, you know, it's, it's all part of the story. And I feel like, I really do. I feel like, you know, some of us in this, business are, are close enough to being able to do sort of some of that stuff like ryan dude you've you've you know established yourself on youtube and you know like there are things you can do from there like i feel like we all have things like we can you know expand on and do and you know nick mentioning that that he wants to do that for 60 days like it, like i just think that type of stuff is exactly what we should be aspiring to not buying a new boat or you know doing this you know certain one thing like more all-encompassing type of you know holistic organic and i don't want to sound too hippie but i definitely do right now 
but you know what I mean? Like going out there and just doing it like for, for, for a month or two, I would, man, I would kill for that. I completely agree with you. I mean, I could, I could do a year. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm going to put the 16 hours in every single day, but what's nice is like when you're talking about 90 days, you know, you can really get a pulse on your water. Yes. Check it in with it every single day and you won't feel pressured to figure it all out one week because you got to go home next week. Right. And so you can slowly get to know that, you know, the, the ecosystem there. And, uh, that's really rewarding, especially if you're fishing in spots that you haven't been before. Like I said, you know, figuring out how to, you know, catch the fish is half the fun for me. So to go on a trip like that, uh, I, I mean, you're just talking about sound like a hippie. I'm talking about catching all these fish. I don't need to catch nothing. I love just being outside. I love, you know, I same here. I, yep. I, I got to see like my first golden eagle fishing this year, and I've never seen a golden eagle in person before. And, you know, I've had coyotes stalk me on the ice, you know, following me on the ice. Uh, we pulled a duck out of a hole in the ice. I've caught an otter through the ice and all these just interactions like with nature. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's the adventure like you're talking about in that book. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something worth living for. Yeah. It's, 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 it's amazing to me. And it's something I really enjoy. And if you don't, and I got to say this for kind of why we even got into this musky hunks podcast to begin with is kind of, kind of all of us pushing the envelope of our hobbies, you know, in the, in this, you know, the hobby of, of fishing like this and the ability to connect with people. Like I didn't know any of these guys before two years ago. And, you know, now I feel like any one of these guys I could go away with for a week and, like be 100% cool with because we, you know, we all have the same type of mindset in, in terms of what we want to do. None of us are, you know, like, it seems like you and Luke have a very similar mindset. I guess that's what I'm saying. Totally. The one thing that like, I mean, we, we have a lot of differences, but our favorite thing is getting on the water as early as possible. People are wondering like, what time you want to get on this morning? I can fix this problem. Let's get on it the night before. And you don't have to worry about what time you're getting on it in the morning. Like, and so Luke, Luke is excellent with that. And, and Luke, just, just the same, he will never be the person to say, guys, let's wrap it up and call it a night. And never, ever. Luke will not be the person to say the night's done. We're done fishing. Quite the opposite. He'll drag a slow day of fishing out and just pound it into the ground and then we'll stay an extra eight hours and not catch anything in those last eight hours but still the point being is we definitely have that in common where you know we just want we just it's okay if you're not fishing all the time while you're on the boat i just want to be on the boat yeah all right i'm not some guys like to go out to the restaurants i get it and you know i i love getting fucked up and drinking still do i just don't anymore and right you know some guys will, will like to drink a lot and make it about that which which is fine i'm not even judging that i used to i used to finish an entire bottle of jameson like on the boat take a two-hour <laughs> nap and stand up and start casting and like just keep fishing like you know and it, you know so i've been there and i've done that but but the bottom line is is some guys you know they do like 
the experience more. Oh, I want to go out and eat or like, Hey guys, let's just like have a drink before we go out and get on the water. I'd be like, no, man, have a drink on the water, throw that shit in the boat. Let's get the boat in the water and let's then go. You can do whatever you want when we're out there. But I want to be on the water, you know, and, and, and the loop being the same way. I mean, we just maximize our time. It's, it's really about trying to get as many casts in as I can while, while still enjoying myself. You know, like I said before, you got you and Luke are kind of you guys just complement each other well as far as fishermen go. I mean, because you guys are always pushing each other. Like whatever you lack in, it seems like Luke makes up for, and vice versa. Oh no doubt, no and, doubt. I've changed so many things because of him. Um, yeah, and like nothing's better when you got a good fishing buddy on the boat. And you, I mean, I feel like I feel like this most of the time that I'm not in my groove. And I'm always looking to like get into that groove where I bait confidence. And then, you know, your cast placement's critical. Like I, I'll, I'll, I'll reminisce about my catches of the day if I had any luck. And usually it was my best cast of the day that caught the one fish and all my, I could just remember, like I just threaded it in perfectly in between, you know, two, two, two weed beds and, you know, it, you know, it just hit perfectly. And I caught my fish on that cast and I, I reminisce about it. I'm like, wow, that cast was actually perfect. I laid it out right where I wanted. And it, that happens, you know, so, so often like that too. You know, you, you got to make the right cast. What I was kind of getting at there. I mean, you, you and Luke, like you guys kind of, like you said, you started in Pittsburgh, you kind of graduated to Canada. You realize there's like bigger and better things out there. What would you tell the budding Pittsburgh musky angler like me five years ago? What, what advice would you give them where you saw that you and Luke oh, kind man, of screwed I mean, up have, or just have fun with it. Everyone's different. So I'd watch, I got buddies that just like catching a 40 is like catching a 55 of them. So it's just all about, you know, enjoying it the way that you want to. I mean, I just hold myself to sort of like, I guess, I don't know. I hold myself to my own standard and I just want to push the envelope of this sport as far as I can. So I just want to catch the biggest, heaviest fish that I can. And you were talking about the length records, you know, and catch and release up there. They mentioned that earlier, Nick uh, Fiesler up north, you know, in Canada length records are cool but all the guys i know that are serious only care about weight yeah length doesn't i mean you can you can have the 60 inch musky if it weighs 30 pounds i'll take the 51 that's uh 45 pounds you know so weight is king up there you know all the guys i know that they catch you know big fish they just want to catch a heavier one I mean, were there any, like, looking back, like, when you and Luke started in Pittsburgh, were there any, like, mistakes that you guys made that you can look back on and say, like, oh, we, like, fucked up right there. We shouldn't have wasted our time doing that. We should have been know. doing this. Like, Yeah, fishing Lake Arthur is a waste of time. <laughs> I mean, Don't tell Donnie that. I mean, it, you know, that's <laughs> why I always stuff like that, because that that I don't time. want to trash people's, like, local holes. Yeah. But, like, Arthur had its heyday, I want to say, like, back in the 80s. You know, and lakes do go through transition periods where, like, they go up and down. They, you know, I've had guys tell me they cycle every seven to twelve years. You know, where the fishing go gets bad, and then you know, in the next seven years it'll it'll peak again. And uh, there's just, you know, I just waste I wasted a lot of time in spots where I had no chance of catching anything nice. And you know, I, I not for lack of effort, I was trying. And uh, 
you know, I guess I would just, I just always try to focus on being in a productive area. And then once you find a productive area, you know, don't just stay in that one spot. You got to now find productive area number two and then start creating like a web, you know, of different spots so you can become the most productive. You guys ever go to a spot and like, it's not too often that you'll be there for six hours and then boom, you get your first bite. And usually, you you know, if there's fish feeding in the area, you'll get it in the first hour. Right. You know, it could even be the first like 10 casts generally, you know, if you got an active fish in the area. So knowing that I like to go and I like to hit these spots, either at the mouths, you know, I, I prefer only to spend like an hour, maybe two hours. And then I try, I want to hit the next milk run spot. I overspent time in spots that were not productive spots and that's something uh you know that that i i wasted a lot of time doing that other than that i mean just have fun i'm just trying to have fun doing what i'm doing and i still like fishing around here you can i believe you can catch 55 incher out of pool six seven eight nine uh i think you could get a double nickel it would be a lottery fish uh and I do think you could get one in the pool above that, obviously, going all the way up to Kinzu. There are a few lakes that can hold a 55, you know, in our area that I try to focus on, especially ice fishing. But um, how do you pick your lakes ice fishing as opposed to traditionally fishing? Same historical catches. I just know okay. about big fish that have come out of lakes. And when I find out that like if a fish, if the lake can produce a 40 pound fish, that's a lake I'm interested in fishing. You know, the, who knows how high the ceiling is because a lot of these places, you know, depending on where you go, they don't have a lot of pressure. Uh, and I don't and mind talking about, what's that? I was going to say, it doesn't worry you, like, say you're looking at this historical catch from 30 years ago. Stalking has changed drastically in the last 30 years. It doesn't phase you a bit. You don't... If anything, there should be more and bigger fish there, probably, unless it's like a woodcock lake where it's like choked and the, the fish gets stunted. But like, you'll know that before you go to a spot, like if they got a bunch of stunted fish, if you got to weed through a bunch of 30s and, and really low 40s just to catch 145 or 146, like... You know, you, I, I would know right away, you know, that I'm not going to spend a lot of time in a big spot that has a lot of small fish. They're, they're all, all, all those got flushed out. So it's a fresh start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I saw that. That was unbelievable. <laughs> still, won't, still won't fish. It's, <laughs> uh, Luke's fished a couple of times. I didn't, I never, I never hit it. a little too small. Yeah. But small is not always the end all. Like you guys ever uh, fish Lake LaBeouf? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exterior I mean, style. I've never fished it, but it's like right right near Canadota. So I've always dreamed about cashing a trophy. I've fished up there. I've ice fished it. Uh, Justice Lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That I always thought could have a big giant sleeper muskie locally. The buff's yeah. the home of old Mossback. Yeah, right? Old Mossback. Yeah. Yeah. As noted as the we're stream. after. My, my buddy Kellen, actually, he has a, uh, a cottage, his family, right on the buff. So. We stay up there, but sometimes we go to Chautauqua or we fish the buff or some of the other local lakes up there. There's a, it's referenced in an old Field and Stream article, like back 50s, 60s. Yeah. Old Moss back. Yeah. We're still looking for her. We haven't found her yet. <laughs> I put a lot of time on those little lakes. We've caught a couple of fish, but nothing. Nothing. That one's, I, I won't go back. Let's put. I, I tried. I put. That one's bizarre. It's like 
one day you go there and the there's bait everywhere throughout the whole lake and the next day it's like they all went downstream or upstream or they went somewhere else right just, well there's nothing that keeps them in there at all right, right? they can go yeah. wherever the heck they want that's what yeah. i thought i mean nick for you to get the labuff how far or how many hours are we talking oh three to four Yes, that's what I mean. Like when you said earlier about getting in tune with your local lakes, that's why I like to fish local. And these guys bust me so much for, oh, you don't leave like Irwin and stuff. And that's why right there, because I feel like I can't get in tune with all those patterns at a lake that's three to four hours away from me. You know, like I have to be there every day or at least like a couple times a week to see what's going on. Then why would you go anywhere? Like that begs the question, like why, like why would, if that's, if that's the case, then why would Nick Colangelo oh, well, and Luke Woolley ever go anywhere? Absolutely. Because, yeah. You know, when you got your local trips, you know, you're, you're just sitting at home, you know, I, I just need to scratch an itch. Yeah. You, know? you can so, go and fish. Yeah. Just trying to go somewhere for like four hours, maybe at the most. And, you know, so if, me and Luke have this the funny, you know, we, we joke about it, but we got these rules like you know if you got four hours of driving total let's say it's eight hours four there four back you got eight hours of driving total you multiply that by three and that's how many hours you better be fishing to even make that close wow. to being worth your time so yeah. i'm driving for eight hours I, be, I better be eight you know be fishing for 24 hours not all consecutively but two days two to right. three days at least actually for eight hours and that makes sense you know i really enjoy how tom just always has to feel like he's right about everything he has to try to take uh, take our guest answers he said that little tidbit his own, that, his own every time no no no, no. that, that little tidbit all. sat in my brain i was <laughs> like i like that a lot Meanwhile, basically everything Nick said tonight, I've been trying to tell Tom for a year and he tells me I'm wrong all the time. It's, I'm, it's like clockwork. Let's go for it out, but Every single guest we get. Continue. Luke and fish I eat other fish's exact, eggs. We go through the same exact stuff. And it's like my opinion <laughs> changes on a year to year. I can't be held accountable for what I said two years ago. Exactly. <laughs> Thank I've changed you. since then. Thank you, Nick. I, I got an always developing opinion. That's right. In Tom's case, it's not two years ago, it's two minutes ago. Yeah, yeah it's like it changes ago. like hour to really hour. On. Yeah. I've had Luke take me to spots where like sometimes if I don't feel like I'm gonna catch anything, I'll just use that time to rest and sit down because I don't want to waste my time. <laughs> I've had him take me to, you know, he'll drive to and what I mean take me to spots is like he'll just get on the outboard, we'll drive 20 minutes to a zone. And uh, I'll be like, no, I'm off. This is stupid. This spot's horrible in my head. And I'll just sit down and I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll think he is wrong. And it's like, I'll, I'm so positive he's wrong about this. And I, you know, <laughs> myself, lo and behold, he'll hook up, man. And he'll make me eat my words and it happens. And it's always a humbling lesson. And that's why I like fishing with him because like, he'll go and do something I would have never done. And that's, a, that's how Tom views the whole country of Canada. <laughs> that's why we like fishing with tom because you know we're always right and he's always wrong yeah it's There's hard to that. fish with tom unless you stay in westmoreland county though i just want to point that out like i said before that's a good fishing relationship you want someone when you start agreeing on everything you're not progressing you know what i mean when you're when you're pushing each other when you're disagreeing a little 
when you disagree with the spot he picked, then you can constructively build on that. Like that's when I don't disagree with you there. Tom, that's why we fish so well together because I I disagree with everything you say. I agree. Yep. Yep. That's perfect. He's got a Luke's got a magnet though. Like yeah, there's something about him where he can just kind of sense what direction to go you know, where those fish are going to be. The one thing that, you know, I can't stand is overstaying spots though. Once I'm somewhere in a zone for two hours, if I've, if I've hit it three times with the same lure and then changed my lure three times to give three different, I'm ready to get out of there, man. I don't. Okay. Like- so that's a good, that actually kind of get, brings me to a question I have. And that is I'm the type of guy who, if I'm out there casting all day, I might cast three different baits, but I'm, you know, I, I will rotate between those three baits. Are you, uh, do you like to stick with some baits that you, you like, or do you like to constantly fire between different baits? Cause I've been on the boat, Ryan Reed, my experience with Ryan is that he likes to switch baits a good bit. You know, there, you know, I, I, do you like to stick with what you, what you know, or, or, changed up i use a lot of different baits but i'll tell you when i'm keeping the same baits on generally like if i'm only fishing one or two baits throughout the whole day i'm fishing good if i'm switching baits a lot i'm probably lacking confidence in what i'm doing and i'm having a hard time getting in my groove because you know i i sometimes wonder that you know it's just about getting something in front of the fish and if you're screwing around, switching baits all the time, not having confidence in what you have, you right. know, it doesn't, you could have threw a hot dog with treble hooks and the muskie would have ate it. And some, you know, they're so aggressive sometimes. So, you know, when I'm fishing good, I'm, I'm fishing one bait almost all day. And is it, it, you mentioned you fish a lot of tubes. I mean, is that one of your preferred, is that your preferred method of fishing? It's my number one bait. I mean, I have more. What tube? Like tube. what are you fishing the red October? Are you fishing oh, yeah. the water wolf? Red October. Okay. Yeah, I like I specifically those. I, I've tried I've tried every tube under the sun because I love them so much too. Uh and there's a couple other good manufacturers, but nothing nothing will ever replace. There's just the the action of the red October. If you get the right rigging down and I, well, what exact, what rigging do you mean? Because I, honestly, when I go over to the red October booth at Muskie max, I am overwhelmed and I never have enough time to like actually ask somebody like, Hey, how do you fish this particular rigging right. or, you know, so tell me what your, your preferred rigging is. First and foremost, I, I like using those guys stuff because they're also great guys. If you've ever met, uh, the guys who make those lures. I, I've been to the, the place where they pour them up in New York. Uh, we were going up to the St. Lawrence River, called him up on the phone, and he invited us straight up to the manufacturing place, which was like, what was so cool about it is it was like not really fancy or official. It was just like a normal dude's like oh, setup. And you go in there and that's like, cool. you know, the microwaves they have to melt the, you know, their plastics and the big mixing drums and everything. And you know, that guy just met us to give us a whole pile of lures on our transition up to the St. Lawrence River. So they're really great people. I That's awesome. Like people's businesses like that when I, when I like them. But I wouldn't buy their tubes if they sucked and I like them still. So the, the tubes are really great. But I'll tell you, like, 
all their variations of rigging are good, but I, I, I'm really fond of the, just the normal jigging rig. Uh, and I, I, I throw it in heavy and uh, me, you know, the, they have a mid. I don't By like jigging rig. You mean like that eyelet on top, right? Like, yeah, the eyelet needs to be on top. It can't be coming out straight out of the front. Now, the one coming out of the front has its applications. That's I like fishing those when I'm like in four feet of water or less, specifically at night. And I like to put one of those spinner blades on the back tail of them so that I can bring them in as slow as possible. Those ones with the front hook. The reason why guys have a hard time fishing tubes, I think, is they just want it to do more than it does. And the beauty of a tube is it is, is a nondescript, very under-detailed, you know, just mass that moves in the water. And, and then the lack of detail in a tube is what really will interest the muskie to come and look at it. Because they're like, what is that? You know, they just see something moving that appears to be alive. Whereas like some of these lures you have, they got eyeballs and they got all kinds of crazy colors on them and stuff. So you know, they, they get in close to something like this in the daytime and they can really start to see the rigging and the details, uh, you know, if you're going pulling it really fast or not, but, but they, they, they can really overanalyze the, you know, the baits if you're, if you're fishing slow. And so those tubes are really simple. And uh, the most important part about those tubes for me when I'm fishing the rivers is I need to get to the bottom as fast as possible when we're throwing at the shorelines because those shorelines can drop off really fast those fish will hug up right in those shorelines. And uh, if you don't have a bait that's just gonna get down real, real quick, you're gonna miss out on, on the fish that are hugging the shore. And so the versatility of a tube, for me, when you're working depth, if you wanna work fast, if you wanna work slow, if you wanna work erratically, if you wanna fish at night, if you wanna fish at day, the tube can cover all of these applications. And so on a whim, I can just, I can just change my finesse pattern on my tube, depending on, you know, what I'm fishing. Uh, I don't know any other. Does it have big treble? Like well is that big trebles hanging off the bottom? You know what I mean? So like what, what's the hooking mechanism there? Yeah. You got, you got the treble on the head and then you got a treble on the tail of them. Okay. Now, you know, I got some unique things I like to do where that, that, that tail treble, if you get them pre-rigged by them, it'll have a really long, uh, basically the hook will come to the end of the skirt, mm -hmm. the spleens. And what I like to do is I like to trim about an inch and a half, two inches off. I want that hook to be coming right where the solid part of the tube ends and cuts into the spleens. I want that hook right at the end of where that solid part is because there's been times where I know this isn't a tube, but if you're penduling a tube down towards the bottom like this, a lot of times the fish will come and when they hit it, I, I run a steel leader. So if a tube's going down, the steel leader would be like this and that mm -hmm. fish will get both the tube and your leader in its mouth at the same mm -hmm. exact time. And then when you go to set the hook, by this way, I don't run fluorocarbon yeah. for this reason, ever, ever. Always steel, doesn't matter if it's dirty, doesn't matter if the water's crystal clear. Steel, daytime, nighttime, all the time. Uh, I'm not gonna get cut off by a fish. So they'll hit that tube, they'll get the leader and then you basically pull it out and it's gotta hit every one of those muskies teeth on the way out when you go to right. set the hook on that thing. And uh, you know, I get a lot of bites like that. And I don't know what other baits that I could, I, I could 
impart that sort of fast action, get to the bottom. And uh, with the tube, you can really interact with the mud, with the shells and the fish are crazy about when you interact with the bottom. One of the biggest triggers I'll have is I'll cast that thing out. When it hits the water, I like to put a couple jerks on it because often if you have a suspended fish, as soon as that thing hits the water, if they see it, man, they want to know, is that alive? Like that's the first thing they're going to think of. And so if you just are lazy and let it hit the water and just start sinking like a stone, they could write it off right away. But if you, it hits the water and you go jerk, jerk, as soon as it hits and they see a movement as they hear that sound hit, you can get a bite like that. If you don't get it after the first couple of jerks, I'll let that tube go all the way down to the bottom. Okay. And I just do really tiny hops all the way down to the bottom. And then when I'm fishing up north, there's nothing but zebra mussel shells everywhere and sand. And so you let that thing hit the bottom. You let it snag the shells. You let it roll in the sand and don't move it. And do a little, I'll do a little countdown, maybe three, four, five, and then I'll pick it up and then pop it really hard. Half the time when you pick it up, they'll take it right there before you can even pop it. But what'll happen is they see it hit the water and they'll tail down and they'll follow it and they'll take it and they'll see it hit the shells. And they'll be like, is this thing alive? They'll stare at it and then, hmm. It's the stillness and that moment of stillness that you let it stay there. And then when it goes to move, they think, oh shit, it's going to get away. Yep. And when they think it's going to get away, Damn. that's when they absolutely hammer it. So that's a trigger mechanism that I'm, I'm using to trick that fish into thinking that that tube is alive. And, and so the tube is so nondescript, they don't know whether, you know, they're eating a giant goby or a. All right. So let's a make a bait that's exactly yeah. like that. It, it minus you know without being rubber but you know the a very very heavy spinner bait where you can throw it down there that is you know virtually weedless in the sense that that giant you know a giant hook is going to sit you know basically sit on the bottom you know and not you know kind of i use kind of like a giant tuna hook um for my for the really heavy spinner baits and you could let that thing sit you know, flutter down, it's going to flutter the entire way down and it's going to create a vibration the entire way down. It's going to, you know, if that thing's six, I just got some five ounce weights, you know, and I know that's not super heavy. We could do a lot heavier than that, but you know, the idea of having something like that, that you could sink down there that would flutter would hit, you know, hit whatever the zebra muscles or whatever the bottom is. And then you could, jerk it up off of there without it, you know, being hooked up, hooked onto anything. I think that's something that I might be able to do for you. Right. No, I, I'd be, you know, I'm interested in, I've never fished nice heavy spinner baits or bucktails. And I, I, I love spinner baits too. Uh, that guy we were talking about, the candy guy, Cullen, he's caught a lot of very large fish on spinner baits up there. And I know that they work, but I, I've never had one that's able to cut the water and get down at a speed where like the current's not the problem with the the blades in my experiences is, is the current will hit those big blades and it wants to take they the flutter bait. on the way down yeah right. it wants to take the so they create you know and so the tube just kind of falls like you're like a you know just like a log but but if, if the blade was heavier i mean what would be interesting about what you're saying is if we're going to do that with something like a blade like that you know i'd almost want a willow a long big willow blade on it least resistance so because i don't want it really to no go way. down slowly at all i want it to get down 
get down fast. And so almost having, you know, you put a Colorado right. in there, it's going to create more drag. <clears throat> but, I liked uh, what you said about the tube, how you can, how versatile it is, how you can go from the top islet to the front islet. Like you said, you'll switch up to that front islet fishing four feet of water because you can kind of fish a tube like a glide bait, you know, if you just switch islets. Nighttime tactic. Uh, I mean, I will lay that front nose tube out. I like to throw, you know, you, you have spots where you got the shoreline and then you got your shallowest water there. So you got all your weeds. And so I'll try to pick spots where I know I try to thread it in between those weeds. And I want to hit the shoreline right at the water right there, because I want to be behind the fish's heads. You know, I don't want to hit in front of them and try to make them come and follow it. I want them to be just chilling and not knowing anything's going on. And all of a sudden I got just, a, I, you know, I call it like a straight shooting Sally lure, man. I just reel as slow as I can. And I put that spinner blade on the back of those tubes with the front hook. They, they sell them as boo tubes also, where they have them built up with flash on the back. Same difference. And I'll, I'll lay those boo tubes out. You let them hit the water, maybe sink like four or five inches in that shallow water. And then it's painful how slow I try to reel those things. And there's no action. There's no jerking. There's no putting it on the bottom. None of that. And this is done at nighttime. And, and it's like I, I've caught many fish over 50 inches just doing this stupid slow actionless retrieve everyone wants to impart a lot of action on their lures and that does work that does work but people overthink it often you just need to push water and they come up behind it they feel this thing pushing water you got the blade on there so if you got any light you know any moonlight at all just that little flicker and then they're just wondering you know is this thing alive and you know, one of the, we're talking about innovating, talking about doing different things with our lures. I like to use scent. Cold water, I like to use it even more. Slower I'm fishing, I like to put mackerel scent, Manhattan oil. I like to put some sort of oil or paste on my tubes because I think hmm. that whenever those are sitting on the bottom when I'm doing that one thing I was talking about, those fish definitely smell. They like to smell. They're trying to verify if this thing's worth eating. If I can, can I, should I eat this thing? And so if you can make it smell like something that they want to eat, I mean, it definitely makes a difference. That's what I meant earlier. You guys are just maybe the most unconventional fishermen that I know of. Like Luke brought that up to us about the retrieve, like how amazed we would be if, if we knew like how many fish were caught on just a stupid, slow retrieve nothing fancy no jerking no crazy stuff like that that always just blew my mind how simple i mean it's crazy but at the same time it's like the ultimate simplicity that you guys do like no. small changes to make a yeah. big difference like really imparting the tiniest change to break the monotony of your cast one of the things like with that you know, i'll cast those boot tubes out at night far as i can away from me i'll be bringing it real slow for like 60 70 yards I was fishing at three in the morning up there, it was 37 degrees out. It was so cold and I hadn't had bite for like, like 12, 13 hours. And I was just casting like a robot. I wasn't even enjoying myself anymore. I was exhausted. I wasn't catching anything. And uh, I remember bringing this in from one of those long retrieves. And I remember looking at the water, we had a little bit of moonlight and I got it within about 30 feet of the boat. One of the things I like to do is I'll do nothing the entire way to the boat. And then about 30 feet, not close to the boat, but 30 feet, as soon as I can see my blade throwing light four inches under the water, I will just change the direction of the tube, maybe 10 or 20 degrees. Not a pop, not anything. 
I, I did this and we, I had no bites and I was watching it. And all of a sudden in the moon, in the moonlight, I saw the fish's gills flare out the mouth open and this thing, just the trick, it, it got triggered immediately when I just changed the, 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 the trajectory of this retrieve. And, and that, that subtle, subtle movement was enough to trigger the bite. And that's when I started to realize that a lot of times, especially at night, we give the fish a lot more credit intelligent wise than you know they might deserve they're not that smart so if you can prey in on their triggers and figure out what works and then start to expand upon that you know and just do little tweaks to that stuff like they're pretty predictable and i've found catching fish through to doing this uh, consistently like my slow retrieves slow changes to the lure because i used to try to impart a lot of action i think that works better in the daytime you gotta make them chase it like a dog chasing a car down the street sometimes you know and you got to feel out what the fish is uh what the fish are interested in you know if i'm doing a slow retrieve all day you know or all night for a night or two and i'm not getting anything i'm either going to start going stupid big on my lures speeding up the retrieve i, I gotta change something you can't just I just won't keep doing that blindly if they're not re reacting to it. <clears throat> I think Bonnie had a question there. I saw a hand poke up. Uh, well, I think Nick kind of answered her as he was talking, but I was just going to say, like, going off of what he was saying, I just, I think most musky fishermen, we, you know, a lot of them have a tendency to overcomplicate a lot of this stuff or to overthink this stuff, if you will. Not that there's a lot, a lot of subtle techniques and things that you can do and try like we've been talking about but at the same time like like you're saying it's it always comes down to i think more than anything it's just being out there you know more more than anything else and it's like but you get so little feedback from these fish it's easy to start questioning everything and questioning everything that you're doing and wanting to try this and try that and getting off your game and really all you got to do is put on a bait that you're confident in and just keep casting or put keep trolling or whatever. And, and sooner or later, usually you're going to catch one. No, absolutely. You just stick with it. Right. It's a, it's a grind sometimes. And, you know, I, you know, I, I've been miserable casting and I just stick with it. And I tell myself that, you know, if I work hard enough, I'm going to catch something and it, it's happened every time. It's all, I've always broken through the slump if I just stuck with the game. Uh, nothing beats a black tube, man. When, I, when I'm down and out and I can't catch anything, I'll put it on a 10 or a 12 inch black red October. And I mean, I will cast that for days until I finally catch something again. When, I'm, when the confidence down, when nothing's working, that's why I always end up with the black tube every single time. I had two questions and that was one of them. I was just curious because I just started throwing tubes probably last year. It was just one of those things I wanted to do. I just felt like everything you said, the versatility, all that stuff. And I was just kind of curious what your standard size tube was. Cause like around here, I mean, I'm still relatively new to all this stuff. So I'm going to probably gravitate to like the seven and a half or maybe like a 10, you know, just, just because like a seven and a half to me seems manageable for a lot of the smaller fish that i catch you right. know so it's uh so is that what is that like what you're primarily throwing is the 10s or the 12s around here 10s i don't throw the seven and a halves 
It's not that they won't eat something that big. It's that the magic of the tube for me is getting it to glide. And the glide depends on the length of the tube. And so the 10 inch, which are like the standard size red Octobers, I believe, the seven and a halfs are the ninjas. And then I think the 12s are called big sexies. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> the 10s will glide pretty nice. And I like the 10s a lot and they're appropriate size for our waters around here. Uh, I think even the 12 is appropriate for the size of water. These fish will, I mean, a 40 inch will eat a 12 inch red October bait. It won't hesitate. I've caught pike fishing musky lures, you know, that are half the size of the pike. These fish are, you can get pretty aggressive. And so people tend to over uh, complicate it and want to throw small because they might have caught one. I mean, I've caught musky on Keytex before, little swim bass, swim jigs. doesn't mean I'm going to go to the river tomorrow and tie up a Keytex to try to cast them, catch them. I mean, it's, it happens, but it's not going to influence my further fishing just because I caught something on something small once. I know that small fish will eat big baits. And so I just tend to stick with them because of that. Uh, that 10 inch, what will happen is if you rig it right, you got to make sure you get the eyelet all the way to the front of that tube. So it's like smashed all the way to the front. If you try to do this thing where you leave a little gap in front of the lead in the tube and you don't get the eyelet, which is the important part all the way as far front as you can in, in the rigging, they don't glide right. And then I run mine on steel. I use a welded split ring at the top with no swivel. I don't like running swivels on my tubes. And you can run it to a stay lock snap. I use them. I've never had a failure, but because I like to fish tubes so much, I run a split ring. Uh, there's just something about the way <clears throat> the split ring causes that thing to bounce. And when I'm fishing those things right, they will glide, the 10 inches will glide like three to four feet. And then if you give it a little pop, often it'll take off in a nice dancing action where it'll take a slight turn in the opposite direction and do another glide. The 12s just do this even better. And it has to do with the length of the tube, the way it just displaces the water and glides through the bait. I like that horizontal glide. You know, I don't necessarily want my bait to just go straight down. I kind of want it to like air, almost like an airplane, like through the sky. I want it to, to go side to side like that. See, that's like super helpful to me because I've noticed with these seven and a halves, like they dart very quickly. There's not like a real long glide. Not and I've watched a number of videos and things like that. And it, I think it's just helpful, like for somebody that's trying to get into maybe throwing some of these types of baits like that's just uh that's kind of a cool thing for me because it that's super helpful now i know like what i maybe what i want to focus on when it comes to tubes um and then my second question is one that i typically ask uh i don't know if this is fair or not but you know i'm i'm so used to just talking to guys that are just getting trying to get into the sport of musky fishing they want to catch like their first fish like out of all the stuff we talked about, like typically time on the water, things like that, or what, what would you say is the most important piece of advice for a new musky fisherman or somebody trying to get into the sport? Oh, I mean, without making jokes and telling them to save their money. Uh, <laughs> it's, you just got to keep your lure in the water. You're not going to catch them not fishing. I mean, that's a big part of it. People underestimate the amount of time you're going to have to put in 
to start landing fish and your first you know 10 20 fish are going to be the hardest ones to catch this is why most people don't try or they wrap it up i mean most people want to catch something so they go out two or three times and get skunked two or three times as a new fisherman a musky fisherman i mean it's easy to start selling gear just not not want to get up and go again so you just got to keep your lure in the water it doesn't matter what it is i i'd say you know beginners should just stick to you know, super shad wraps and bucktails until they start getting some fish under their belt because I mean, they're, they're easy. You just throw them out there. Super shad wraps, super versatile bait. You're likely to catch some big walleye, some big bass occasionally on them. That'll be fun. And, uh, you know, a bucktail is good for beginners generally because of the simplicity. You just get it out there and you just find a steady retrieve and you just bring it back to the boat. I mean, you got to get fishing in that to start, you know. You're not going to be able to do that if you aren't getting lure in the water. Listen, I don't want to get us too far off topic on Ryan's question, but you said a buzzword for me there, super shad wrap. What, <laughs> I know what? you like this. Oh, my God. And, and every time I tell someone that, they're like so awestruck and amazed because they hate them. And I know I fish them a little differently. I don't really fish them like a crankbait. I kind of fish them more like a dive and rise like i rip them down let them up a little rip them back down what do you do with them yeah no clear, clear water erratic that thing hits the water this is almost the same with all musky lures by the way i don't ever let a lure hit well it might be different for top water by the way i've never caught a musky on top water uh <clears throat> excluding top water whenever my lures hit the water, I am always ripping them in. I'm talking, I'm trying to time it. Like the second I see that lure is almost hitting the water, my line's already tight. And as it's breaching the surface, I am ripping the rod down simultaneously. I might add two or three more pops in it, depending on the depth, then I'll let it go to the bottom and then start my typical finesse retrieves from there. Same thing with the super shad wrap. I like to let that thing hit the water. Yank, yank, yank. And now I know it's down about four or five feet now. And what I like to do is I don't like to let it come up right there. I'll actually keep the rod tip down and kind of just try to like a suspended bait for a moment. If you got to pick up three inches to keep it at that depth. And then if I can get it to pause there for a moment and I don't get a bite, then I'll just start really erratically ripping it. And that drives them crazy when it's yeah. cool about them. They come up fast. It drives them nuts when they come up fast. Uh, I mean, it's just the right size. I mean, it's such a perfect size for just trying to get yourself a bite, you know, put fish in. So that's a, that's a, that's a beta. If I, if I trolled a lot, I would definitely troll those just as much as I'd probably troll these candies too, because I know what those, those lures produce uh, for Brett Alexander you know, where he fishes up there, they'll, they'll, they'll take a super shatter of trolling. They like the, the hot colors, the really bright ones in the perch. Uh, they'll put a keel sinker or bullets or a uh, egg sinker on their trolling lines, six foot fluorocarbon leader. They'll put that, you know, two to four ounce sinker on there so they can get those super shatter wraps down like eight to 12 feet. And they just pull, you know, anywhere between six and 12 of those things and comb the water with those. And they put 40, 50 pound fish in the boat. I mean, they get eaten. And so that's probably something I wouldn't have tried, but because I know it happens, I'd, I'd be willing to do it too. 
you know that is a breath of fresh air because you're talking you know i'm the super shad lover and you're talking to four of the biggest super shad haters on this entire planet right now i think <laughs> so this is what i mean this is exactly what i'm talking about we've never once ever said we no, hated super we don't shads. we don't like the super no. shads around here you just that, always that feel is, like you have to be 100 untrue uh, <laughs> I, it is it is a question of durability tom it is not, nothing to do with the that's fact fair. that they catch that's fish fair. That's fair. I've, I've caught fish done. on super shads. Well, I I've, I also know all about the uh, the Green Bay fish. We all know that they catch them out there in Green Bay a little bit too. I mean, I didn't realize that exactly what Nick was saying there, which is pretty cool. But I know it's a hot bait out in Green Bay, and but yes, Tom, they don't quite hold up to the same as say a uh, oh, no. a, a handmade Leo lure. I'm sorry. That's true. That's true. How many <laughs> super shads could you buy for the same yeah. price of one baker? Oh, I, I believe me, I agree with you there. They're uh, not durable. The lips break off, but right. they cost 12, 13 bucks. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's one of the like the, the the price point. I can go and spend, you know, a hundred bucks on super shads and get a whole pile of them. I don't really care. If I can catch a few fish, I don't care if I break a couple of lips on it. But you're—I mean, yep. you're right. I think they're made out of balsa still. Yeah, it's really light. Lips. Yeah, and they I mean, use they like definitely... Elmer's glue to attach the lips. So I always they... put like a dab of super glue on the, like the back side of the lip. To, like, right. A little extra. They always. My well... dad's a shad wrap lover, by the way. Just oh, dude, the, the shad wrap was like my <laughs> childhood. My my childhood. The OG shad wrap, not the super shad. No, 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 no. I'm talking the OG shad wrap, like the OG. I think it was the 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 fives and then sevens and the nines. Sevens, the nines were like the big ones, but (laughs) you know, I those were the absolute. When I would go to Canada, you could throw a shad wrap in damn near any situation that you needed a bait to go deep, and you could show a rate, and you could throw a regular rapala in any situation you needed a bait to go shallow you know what i mean like it it covered every single casting situation in like a you know a, a bass pike walleye type of scenario hey since we're we're like at the two hour mark and and tom completely forgot to do the uh, speed round i want to do my own speed round <laughs> i want to query the whole call everybody on the call and see whether it's it's called rapala or rapala Ready? Ooh. Go. Speed round. Rapala. I call I would call it Rapala. I called it I just said Rapala oh. because I felt like I was being uh bougie. Very if you go to Canada, it's Rapala. That's oh, very wow, Canadian. That. Very Canadian. Them and their pickerel. Well, no, pickerel. if you if you actually if you watched a a commercial, I like you know, an advertisement from the company, I believe. It's Rapala. And I'm from but Western Pennsylvania, so I say But it's more because of the, 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 the yeah. European inflection. Yeah. I don't know. You got to Western, Western Pennsylvania, is it? I think I've still got more Georgian Bay muskies on F-18s than any other lure. So, Do you guys prefer wooden baits? No what real commitment. I prefer baits to catch muskies. I don't really yeah, care yeah. personally. I, you know. 
we talked about that a little how, how you can get the how you can get the magic wood bait you know like right. how that can be replicated that's the problem with bait. wood though exactly right. what you're yeah. talking about and one know, in ten guys maybe. are transitioning out of wood because of the inconsistency like uh i've i've read and i've talked to uh to people about mike lazarus yeah uh, he's probably one of the best fishermen i, I look up to and mike's yeah. still fishing up there and mike will only from what i understand i didn't talk to him personally about this he only fishes resin boats and yes. it's because of his mathematical approach where he insists on knowing the exact depth that his baits are running at he wants them to be literally like mere copies of each other so he can get them so tuned in perfectly where it's like some wooden baits have a lot of like you know they, they have different action yeah it's either the it's i don't recall if it was the, the ugly pike podcast or the yeah. backlash podcast that mike lazarus was on and that was one of the things that he talked about is that you know as much as he loves you know the idea of you know artistic bake mate you know wooden bait makers and whatnot the fact of the matter is that they are just simply not consistent for his you know in his estimation i mean you got a, a you know you you got a lot of baits that have been that have proven otherwise you know what i mean with wileys and you know everything you know there's there's a a lot of reason to say hey you should still run wooden baits like i don't want to give the, the impression that you know we we're saying you you should not run wooden baits you know what i mean no i i, I like it i like all of them i just i find it interesting i always like to ask other people if they have a preference i do i will say go ahead nick there's definitely like the big appeal like if you are fishing slower like fall and stuff like that or spring the resin stuff that's got a whatever you want to call it more neutral buoyancy it's gonna just be able to fish a wider range of depth as opposed to the high buoyancy like cedar stuff just you just can't get it down so that's that's an interesting point to me too i never really thought about that but i one thing that's kind of changed my opinion on all this stuff is is the fish hawk and like i'll take that thing out when we're trolling and i will hit every bait you know before i actually set it out there and that's kind of i and you guys know i love perch baits like i really settled in on perch baits and and it's those are resin baits so like thinking about the leos and stuff like it's really opened my eyes to just how consistent wood can actually be because a lot of the wooden baits that i have like they run like all the leos i have they are literally like five to one consistent throughout like those mojos are super consistent my problem with that my problem with the the weighting is different in some of them and i've had baits that have sank i've had baits that have run not just like one or two feet different like a five inch bait at this on the same rod and reel same line same distance out i've had a bait run six feet deeper than my other fives okay that's where my that's where my my problem is with some of this stuff the consistency that you guys are talking about but the beautiful thing about that is that fish hawk like dude it 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 has changed the way i feel about it because now i feel like i can actually run wood and identify if it's that stuff's consistent and when i 
I have something that's not, I just, you know, I'll trade it or I'll, you know, give it to Tom to, you know, snag. Well, I mean, even at that point, Ryan, you know, the consistency isn't necessarily as big of a deal if you have a way of, you know, depth curving your baits, whether it be fish hawk, live scope, electronics, whatever, as long as you can know what bait, what depth your bait's running at it, said speed and you know uh uh speed and, and line out i'm sorry i had a brain fart there for a second then that's all right we all have really those. matter what's that we all have those yeah you know, but it you know it doesn't necessarily matter the consistency isn't as big of a deal then as long as you have a way to to identify it you can right. adjust accordingly yeah. to put your bait where you want it yeah, it just it's interesting how we have these conversations about like wood being inconsistent and it it is like it absolutely is. But for whatever reason, there's certain lure makers or lures in particular that are reproduced like very similar, like what Leo does, that they're unbelievably consistent. And that makes me more excited because I typically like wooden bait just because I feel, you know, I just like it. It's a preference thing. Right. It's all about doing the right voodoo magic over the bait before you use it. That's how you get those magic wood ones. You guys remember Moises Alou, baseball player? Oh, yeah. The dude who uh, he used to piss on his hands every yeah. morning. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, no, don't tell yeah. me the you're old, out there pissing the old on Moises <laughs> the, old Mo- the old Moises Alou. The old Moises Alou. The old right on the side oh, of the magma. Oh, no. You go. shake his hands. It's like, it's like Nick- leather. Nick Remind me to not take scent. any lures from the lure swap off. You. Yeah. <laughs> Nick I was like talking the, about scent. I like the Moises Malou uh, Luke's reels sometimes. Is <laughs> 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 this sticky? What's, uh, what's going on? <laughs> oh no! I'll make sure he sees me doing it. All right. So so okay. So I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and we're we're gonna do this real quick. Tom and I'm gonna give it. Tom's idea. We're going to do a little uh, segment called overrated and underrated. All right. And Tom doesn't know the, any of these, I'm going to pick some of these questions out of the, the list that we have here. And Nick, we just want your, your, you know, off the cuff response, you know, and, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. And so we're going to start with the first one moon events uh overrated okay why do you say that because ultimately i'm going to fish regardless of what the moon's doing do you think the fit do you think fish react any differently to moon moon events like when you're out there all day like you're saying you're going to be out there fishing regardless do you think that you think you have a better chance of catching a fish during a moon event? I pay attention more during the moon events. You know, I might plan my, if I take a break, I might plan a half hour break outside of the events to make sure that I'm fishing, what, you know, during the events. Basically, if you can fish them, and I think it either can help or do nothing. So, gotcha. It's, I think other people put way too much emphasis and I've caught tons of fish outside of those phases. So I, I don't, I don't think it's as important. Uh, Luke thinks it's more important than I do because he caught his biggest fish during the moon phase. That's what will happen to you. 
Uh, I've caught plenty of fish with no moon phase, you know, outside of the moon phase. So it doesn't matter to me. I don't, I, I'll check them. I know what they are, but they don't, they don't decide when I fish. All right. Next one. Lure color. God, I'm stumped. Overrated. On that one. Yeah. Overrated. What was that? It doesn't. It doesn't usually matter. It's probably just. Oh, so overrated. Yeah, it's overrated generally. I mean, I, I do have a special place in my heart for for barred perch patterns and natural colors. Uh, it's a confidence thing, though. Like a self-fulfilling yeah, prophecy. Yeah, I like natural colors like greens, browns, black. I don't throw white a lot. People love white. They love it. I don't like white. Okay. All right. Next up. Electronics. Underrated. I mean, they can be an incredible tool if you know how to use them. I, I, they're, not, they're not necessary, but you can put more fish in the boat if you have eyes on top of the water and under the water. What, uh, what electronics do you guys, do you guys run? Just side scan and down imaging. We don't have any pin optics. Okay. So, so in, are you, are you Humminbird or Lawrence guys? I, we've run both graphs. They both suck. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, I don't like any, I, I, I have not run into you know, the graphs being hooked up the way that I like, where they, they're all performing the way that I feel like that they should. But, you know, I'm seeing these other guys, I got the 70 to $120,000 boats where everything is, is in harmony with Bluetooth and it's all brand new. I'm sure if you're a person in set up in that situation that it can be incredibly beneficial. But uh, I mean, that's a 15 to $25,000 setup. It's it costs a lot of money to get the mega imaging to get the pan optics. I mean, we do have a graph on the front and on the back, but the main point of that is so you know when you're straddling a drop off. I mean, it's it's more for depth than than for looking at the fish. That was one of the so, tips. I don't I don't want to interrupt you there, Nick. But that was when I was setting my boat up. That was one of the tips Nick had for me was run your graphs independently off the front and the back because then you can tell you know depending on what way your boat's angled, you can tell if you're on a break. You tell Absolutely. difference between the depth in the front of your boat versus the back of your boat and that, that can tell you a lot right there yep do you run the side imaging while you're casting i don't use it very much luke doesn't use it very much yeah uh, we're not crazy on the graphs i mean That's i like a, to locate shad and bait and stuff just like anybody else but it, does, it doesn't matter i go to my milk run spots regardless and you could turn that thing off Right. I'm going to go and fish and I'm going to fish my plan and it doesn't matter. The thing is I fish clear water up north nine times out of ten they see you coming the fish push away from the boat you don't get them on the graph anyway. It doesn't mean there's any fish there that there's none there they're getting away from you. They're not either. It's hard to even put them on the graph. Now you got the pan optics and, and the, the crazy stuff. You, you might be able to see those schools but we don't have that. That's what my experience when you're you know, I mean, even if you're moving around with a trolling motor, that side imaging so distorted from the slow speed, you don't get a, it's not, not enough feedback to really paint a picture for you. It's, In the perfect world, you want to use that side imaging to locate the weed edge and position the boat appropriately so the 
at the apex of your cast, it's coming down and your furthest cast just hits right there at the weed bed. Right. You could use the side imaging to find that. We don't do it often, but I, you know, I know guys do. It is nice. You can pick up the bait schools and stuff here, there, wherever, but right. Yeah. Ready for the next one? Yep. All right. Two piece or telescopic rods. Two piece all day. No doubt. Those telescopics, half the time they get fro they, they will freeze into their spot. And the, especially in the winter times. And a lot of times when that happens, your guides will be cockeyed and then they'll start slamming the butt on the pavement or wherever you're at to try to <laughs> pop the telescopic back down through it. When you, you break your seats. real seat. Yeah, or you do, yeah. You know, they're nice in theory. And the truth is they're probably around a lot because of the shipping restrictions that they've put on uh yes you know i think that's why they're around but i love two-piece rods i've never had a failure i don't believe they fail uh in any you know way more than than the telescopic rods i I like two-piece just out of curiosity you said you were running the 12 foot rods Mm -hmm. are those like a catfish oriented thing yeah those uh i don't love them by the way they're all right they're right. the longest version of the Mojo. Oh, the gray, okay. the gray Saint, Saint Croix, Croix Mojo. Yeah. When they came out, they had a super duper freaking long one, and I got the yeah. longest ones because I wanted to use them outriggers for live bait in addition yeah. to full. Well, that actually brings us to uh, another one of our overrated or underrated questions, and that is ten foot or larger rods, which is the new. The new thing, All ten foot crazy. rods. Uh, I'd say underrated, casting underrated, depending on you know your application. I mean, a, a longer rod's going to be able to cast the bait further, and you. I, I mean, I. But where does it end? I guess that's the question. You know, we 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 started it. Okay, eight 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 foot six was. We're there. Uh, was long. Yeah, we're there. You know, we're, we're at the terminal length. Like, I don't think you're going to get any better. Like, you can't go to, like, 13 and 14 foot. Yeah, I mean, are we going to get 10, 6, and then are we going to get 11 foot? Or then who's going to get the who's going to get to the biggest, stiffest rod that you can, you know, do a figure eight off of a, off of a, a, a yacht? Hey, man, if anyone wants to make a 14 foot rod, I'd be first in line to try it out. <laughs> uh, one of the best things about those long rods man is you can get really great figure eights because i don't like the figure eight at the water surface i like to shove my whole rod tip down three four feet down and i like the figure eight with both hands with a really deep bait under the boat so the longer your rod is the more you can jam it down into the water my girlfriend told me that the only difference in length is where you measure from All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna switch <laughs> yeah. gears here. We're gonna switch gears here, and we're gonna give a little overrated, underrated double zero Italian flower. Wait, you what? Know, I'd be embarrassed that I don't know what it is. Like the, like the special double zero flower, and and no, I mean that's then then that explains it. Like, you know, okay, so I, I like to make pizza and, you know, there everyone says, like, you have to, like, start with this double zero Italian flour. 
I mean, I'm not going to say. And if you're saying that that, that that doesn't matter, then then that's the answer to the question right there. Right. No, yeah, no, no, I don't care too much. Overrated. Uh, oh, and half, half the country doesn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I didn't about. know what the hell you were just talking <laughs> I about. I thought you were talking about weed. That's, that's what I thought, too. I was like, man, that's bold. Italian flowers. That, that is bold. Flower. <laughs> Underrated. All right, so uh, let's see here. All right, so being a uh, strip district resident, how about Permani Brothers? If you're from <laughs> Pittsburgh, overrated. If you're you're not from Pittsburgh, I mean, I'll call it underrated if you're not from here. Like that. I think everyone Good. needs to experience it uh, uh-huh. before, but I mean, after you've had 10 of them and you can go get more because you live around here, like, dude, just put the coleslaw on the side. <laughs> that's that's how I get it, yeah. It. I like it. I might even, like, put a piece on one of my bites, but, like, like you know, yeah. that's an experience. That's an experience. Uh-huh. That's what I mean. Like, you know, you come to town, you should definitely get one of those, but, like, I don't go get them anymore. Are there any sandwich shops that use your guys's bread? No, we're everything that we serve in my my stays in house specifically. Yeah, yeah. My my old man baked. We bake all of our bread. We make all of our dough. Yeah. So yeah, that, that's that stuff stays. So, Pen Max sells a couple of our. Uh, we have these uh, vegetable focaccia breads. It's basically a round focaccia. They have different toppings, and we make them, and they they do sell them out of their store over there. But that's it. Do you sell loaves out of your bakery? Like if someone wanted to buy like Mancini's or, you know, any of these other, you know, bakeries, can you buy a loaf of Colangelo's bread? Yeah, absolutely. We, we stock lo- uh, loaves of focaccia and ciabatta in the uh, case every day. But, you know, we don't make a lot of money selling bread. So it's a very limited amount. I'd say I only sell between like like four and 10 loaves a day. So as a result of that, that's about all we stock. You know, we're not, I wouldn't say that we're a bread store, but we do throw a couple up there for the, the customers that like to come in and buy it. Okay. So overrated or underrated Pittsburgh pizza. Underrated. Pittsburgh okay. has great pizza. Talking Minios, Fiori. Yeah. Other places. Pittsburgh's doing good, a good job, you know, I'd say we're just as good as any other major city like Boston or New York or Chicago. We're, we're right on par with all the other cities. Hey, What's your favorite one. Pittsburgh? Minios, Aiello's, anything along those Definitely lines? It really depends on my mood, but I, because growing up, man, I'm a Fiori's guy. Ah, Brookline, my man. Yeah, yep. I'm a Fiori's guy, but uh, I'm not into the iron. The old, sli- the old sneaking the pepperoni under the cheese thing. Right. Yeah, man, I'm into it. I, I like that they, you know, the way they bang those pizzas out and it's all takeout. You just line up and you go. Don't like the Beto's raw cheese stuff. Minio's is good. I'm a fan of Minio's. The, the right one, you got to go to the right one. Uh, Caliente's is garbage. Might as well be Domino's. Uh, <laughs> I'm to, I mean, it, there is a lot of a lot of good pie out there. You know. It, it, it's a good what about Aiello's? Is, is he? Is they still in business? Aiello's. Yeah, that's a good. But just like Aiello's does a good pie. Places that have been in business for like twenty to forty years, I feel like who knows? You can say the same thing about my place, but you know the heydays were like in the first twenty. They're coasting. They've been around for a long time. Yeah, yeah, but you know what? The way I look at those businesses, Nick, is if 
if they are continuing the way they have, that type of business can go on indefinitely. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you almost have a license to print money in the sense that if you can, if you can run the business, right, you can run it right every single day and make money. Do you know what I mean? Right. No, absolutely. I mean, let's put it this way. Shitty pizza is still good. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if you have the reputation at one point, like, you know, I, I hate to put it like this, but like I Americans, man, I can sprinkle cheese on a piece of shit and put it on a plate and they'll eat it as long as that's oh, just awesome. Man. Yeah, it's Amazing. just it doesn't Delicious. matter what it is. That's what people like it, you know. And so yeah, they, they got a license to print money, no no doubt. One uh one funny pizza story real quick. The one <laughs> site I had, it was like I used to do environmental remediation, gas stations, that sort of thing. And uh there's a pizza shop across the street from this gas station. We're like, have lunch there, come come back or testing all the wells. The guy running the pizza shop comes over and buys frozen pizzas out of the gas station <laughs> to take back and <laughs> cook. In the- oh, man. <laughs> <So, yeah. laughs> just dying. Got homemade pizza tonight. <laughs> I made it in my home. <laughs> that's kind of uh, nick that's kind of how i expected uh our dinner to be at the Levine the, the tavern, Levine tavern. Yeah. yeah that was phenomenal it was it was surprisingly good yeah. surprisingly good all right. all right so we're gonna go uh one last overrated and underrated before we before we end things here tonight so overrated or underrated musky hunks podcast thank you thank you i was gonna ask that <laughs> overrated <laughs> I want to give you guys the underrated. I mean, who named it? Who named the podcast? Owen's wife, I think. No, that would be that oh would be me, God. kind of like in jest, and it turned into a Let, let's yes, talk, turned let's into a joke. Talk about this for a second. So, like, did you get three options on the table, and you're looking at all three, and you're like, "All right, musky hunks." That's <laughs> okay. you know, this is also my segue to a very very important next few questions like <laughs> what's it going to take to get like some women on here yeah. is that going to be something oh, man, guys, Nick. Like, some oh. women? so one of our we're 100 percent like forward thinking we are progressive like we want to have any any you know female presence we possibly can and, and i've i've thought about reaching out to a couple of you know female angler musky anglers and I've been hesitant yeah, because because we already call ourselves hunks and we don't want her to any anything that anymore. Well, she's certainly she's on the top of she's <laughs> on the top of the list. You know, Jesse Baker, I I would love to have on. Like Jesse. Um, you, you know, but it's kind of like it's Samantha on. I had a little different spin. I thought maybe to integrate women, we could do like a women of musky fishing podcast and have all of our wives and girlfriends on and they could all collectively about how awful it is to be with someone that's addicted to musky fishing. I'm pretty sure Larissa would make fun of you more than I do, Tom. So <laughs> that's fair. That's cool. That's that's all right, though. That's funny. I think that would be funny to hear their side of like how awful it is to be with someone that's like obsessed with these fish. We, we don't need wife- to hear it. My wife would yeah, just I sit would just behind like, me <laughs> and roll her eyes every time on somebody says musky. We hear it enough, Tom. We don't need to hear it on, in That's our fair. safe space. That's fair. That's fair. This is a you safe know, honestly, space. 
honestly, if I could, if I could explain the whole musky hunks thing, and it is really trying to be as tongue in cheek as possible. It's like calling the, you know, the fat guy tiny, you know, it's, we we're certainly not hunks. We're certainly not experts. We're, we're kind of laughing at ourselves in a sense, because we want to, we want to learn uh, we, we, we are certainly not experts. We, we don't make our living doing this like you guys, you know, that's why we like having you and Luke on because, you know, you don't, you don't do this for a living yet. You certainly outperform your typical weekend warrior. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's awesome. I like, I like the, I like the name. It made me laugh when I heard about it. Uh, you know, but I, I, I can see it getting people's attention, you know, being interested, but Worst I definitely, case, definitely got to work, get the girls. If the podcast doesn't work out, we're just going to be an all male dance team. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's option number two. <laughs> nice. Well, Nick, man, I cannot uh, thank you enough for taking all the time. I mean, hell are we, we're damn near three hours. We're, at this we're point. three hours. Yeah. I, I'm glad I got you guys to start at eight. You tried to do this at nine. I know, uh, yeah, I know. Man. But well, I think I this has really taught us something, and that is that we really need to start starting at eight, because nine o'clock. By the time we hit eleven, you know, well, I'm already in the bag. So this has been this has been definitely a, a learning experience. And thank you again, Nick. I, I can't I can't thank you no. enough for coming on, man. Great job. No, this was awesome. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. So I really enjoyed myself. I honestly, I didn't even go through how I, I wrote some notes in case I got bored and didn't know what to talk about. And I didn't even go through half of this stuff. Well, let's get you back on then. Let's yeah, back, absolutely, yeah. man. We, we got, notes, you know, we caught a, a muskie on a 19 inch walleye. Oh. We used a 19 inch walleye for bait. I sent Holy Tom a picture shit. of a muskie that choked on a 20 inch carp killed itself trying to eat it you know there's all kinds of fun stuff that we do so if you guys yeah you, you want to down the road ever hook back up i'd love to introduce you to my friend dave and yeah obviously if you ever get the ladies on the show i'd love to make a second appearance yeah well now that we got Very a little nice. history of you nick and we can we we got the background we can get you back on for the good stuff next time right yeah i'm ready and i like it you Absolutely. guys are too Nick actually looks like a musky hunk, so we should like you have him message. Yeah, he should be our model. Us. Yeah, can yeah. you he be the hunk? Can you model? Just give us give us the rights to a, a shirtless photo that we could tape our faces on? Yeah. Yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I really it was great that you know I, I love seeing Donnie because I always follow his stuff. Owners, sorry I, I bailed on you guys so quick at the Muskie show. I got 911 from work while I was there. I was actually working that day. And, you know, Nick, nice talking to you. Tom, I hope we actually get to go fishing this year. I hope, man. Ryan, I've watched your stuff on YouTube. It's always cool watching your stuff. And this this whole thing, you know, on a serious note, was was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. Oh, man, thanks, thanks for, for doing coming, this. Man. This was we a blast, guys. Been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah. This is really cool. On. Hopefully Thank we'll you. get to go fishing soon, you know? Let's do it. We You're might always have to, welcome we might have at to Hunk's give, Weekend. Well, I was just going to say, we might have to give an invite to Hunk's Weekend. 
Tom's oh, already given out. Here's Tom just yeah. giving out invites. To I'm going to have to buy a third cabin here. The way it would go. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you're going to catch your double nickel with us, Nick. But we can have some. Oh. No, no, I know. I've heard. I've heard rumors of. I've heard rumors of multiple fifty fours. All right, guys. Well, boys, this has been a lot of fun. Everyone, have a good night. Yeah. All right, I'll talk All to right. you guys soon. Thanks, right, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Later. See you guys, Nick. I had to shake him on my last case, big O don't play. Big o don't play.